Church on Busy Street. I love you, took on a new shape for me, and I cut myself on the water, so in the space that always welcomes me home. Welcome to Wednesday Night Musical Osmosis, where intelligent, dissident thought meets melodic, euphonious reality. I am your musically magnanimous host, Nick the Saucy One Cat Soros, broadcasting as always from the shadow of Hurricane Mountain, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my probably exhausted, but proficiently, um, ah, I screwed that up, whatever, proficiently, <laughs> Odell, calling, I should never ad-lib these things, Odell calling in all the way from Charm City. Hey man, welcome What's home. What's up, man? Work. 
Yeah. <laughs> I literally just got in and, and ran upstairs. <laughs> I know it's got to be hectic, man. Yeah, well, traffic was a little crazy today, a little little more than usual. So normally I get home around like 6.15 or so, but today there was a couple accidents. So That is no joke. All right, and we also have our producer lurking in the shadows, as always, making us sound pretty. Who is that shampoo guy, D? Vidal Sassoon or whatever? If yes. I don't look good, you don't look good or yes. whatever? that's the name of a shampoo, yes. No, that's, it's <laughs> named after a person. Oh, Vidal Sassoon, yeah. Vidal Sassoon. Yes. Yeah, he's a like a famous hair designer to the if stars. You don't look good, if you don't, if you look, don't look good, we don't look good. Yes. So right. if you don't sound good, I don't sound good. Exactly. Um, do you take it as a reflection on you, D, if we sound like crap? You bet you're behind I do. Um, yeah, <laughs> and I'm just sitting back here sipping on some watermelon margaritas in a can and uh, vapey, vape, vape, vaping. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was on a jewel. You're so hip. And now I went back to a vape. Well, it's Living more, the life. Your husband has a goatee. You have a, vi- a vape. We are hipsters. Yeah, it's more <laughs> that I don't want to smoke cigarettes because I know they're really, really bad for me. Um, and then I switched to a jewel, but I broke one because it spilled and they're really hard to refill. But a vape is made to be refilled. So I, I get to vote va- I get to vape whatever flavors nope. I want. So I'm vaping some purple. Sorry, I'm going to call it vaping for now on. Vaping. Yep, that just sound, it sounds like LARPing and vaping at the same time. All right. We have a special co-host tonight for our special Women Who Rock episode. The smart, the witty, yep, the multi-talented do. musician, and definitely a woman who rocks herself, Hannah Rose Dexter. Hooray, Hannah. Good evening, Ooh. friends in the Eastern Time Zone. Hello, yeah. it's good to be here. <laughs> right on. Hey, man, um, I don't know if you saw, I shared it on our music page. I wanted to congratulate you on your interview in um, Voyage LA. I thought that was a really oh, great hey. read. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. see that, but thank you. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, so you got a lot going on, too. We just played um, an intro song from your new album that's coming out. Mhm, mhm. I've been working, I guess, since I last spoke with you guys, like nine months ago, um, finishing up an album of my solo music, which is all mostly electric bass and voice and a little extra stuff here and there. And it's sitting in the hands of my mixing engineer right now, and hopefully it'll be out before kids go back to school in the fall. Nice. Well, definitely let us know when that happens, and we'll have you back on, and we'll chat all about it. What do you like better on this show, being the co-host or the guest? Because you've played both roles already in the past. Mm, That's true. That's true. And I was going to say that being a host was less stressful, but actually it's it's about as stressful. But each time I come back, it gets a little easier, you know? There you go. All in time for for when I come back to talk about my album, this will be a piece of cake. Can I give you like a relaxing sonorous tone? So yeah, I would love to like, hear a sonorous tone. Uh, uh, yeah, Lord I'm sorry. Mercy. That sounds. Yeah, that's. Is it like being in lukewarm water floating on butterfly wings? No, no that reminded me of the most annoying sound in the world. Sound. You remember on Dumb and Dumber? When they're in the car. Oh, yeah. yeah that rem- I love you. <laughs> That's okay. the most annoying sound ever. Let's move on. 
I've I've gone into the waters of annoyingness. Annoyingness is that a word? Annoying ass. And we're not even ten minutes into the episode. Oh, let me tell you, man, we've got a great episode lined up tonight. And I was telling you guys offline, I'll usually send out if we're doing a big show like this. If I send out eight invites like I did for this one, I expect to get four responses back. And then maybe out of that four, two or three will say yes. And actually, of the seven people who saw it, seven people responded. Seven people said yes. One person. (laughs) wanted to do their very own episode. They were like, yeah, I've got so much content. Can we just do a separate episode with just me? And I was like, <laughs> sure. But all six were excited. So how could you not have like a kick-ass attitude going into this when everybody was so hyped up to do this? It's true. It's true. So, but I am going to probably screw up during this episode because there's just so much content. And it, I'm, it's going to run so long. I already know it. Do you have a stopwatch handy? <laughs> Um, I'm sure there's a virtual stopwatch online. Yeah, it doesn't work for him. Yeah, these always giving me the digital no, stink no. eye. She has to like message me like three or four times to get me to shut up. <laughs> Pretty much. Thank All right, you. what do we have coming up in the coming weeks, D, so we can get our first guest in here? Okie dokie. So uh, coming up next week, we actually have the uh, L7 episode with Danita Sparks that coincides with the release of their new album next week. Woot woot. Um, yeah. And then... Such a great conversation, man. So happy with yes. that. Yes. That was uh... so much fun. So much fun. Crap, yes. And then we've got uh, Teresa Cheen of The Nearly Deads, Scott Hill of Fu Manchu, and Bonnie Bloomgarden of Death Valley Girls coming on next month. So it's going to be a huge month again, like we should ever expect anything less. Really. Odell, I know you've kind of got a special place in your heart for Fu Manchu because one of your old band songs um, from Onus, the song Hot Rod, was actually inspired by that group. Yeah, yeah, we were wow. we were big Fu Manchu fans. Yeah, so uh, uh, we definitely took basically we took their song. <laughs> if you listen to it, it's like wow, we were really, 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 really influenced by that song. But it's uh, now they're such a great band and such cool guys, and uh, that's an honor to uh, to be able to um, to talk to them. So it'll it'll be fun because they are laid back, they're cool, they rock, they just rock. They're just a straight rock and roll band and their catalog is immense man i was looking through their catalog and i was like and it is you know you got some bands acdc is good at this too they kept that same sound but they made every album just slightly different enough to keep it interesting where a lot of times after six or seven albums a band has to go in a radically different direction to feel like one they're not getting bored themselves and two that they're challenging themselves it's like this game of fucking musical one-upmanship where you always have to kind of push to the next thing but Fu Manchu is pretty consistent on their sound but everything is still like oh wow man this feels new And 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 you know what else is really cool about them is that musicians they're like a musician's band yeah, they too. Are. So, and what I mean, what I mean is, it's like if you were to talk to, you know, a bunch of different musicians, they, they would tell you, "Do you like them?" And they'd be like, "Of course, you know, they're one of our influences." So that's that's what is so cool about them is that they've influenced so many, so many bands. Indeed, could not agree more. Um, Hannah, have you ever heard of Fu Manchu? I have heard of them, but I have not listened to them. 
Yeah, check them out, man. They are just stellar. Even if you don't like that type of music, it's so like grabby and energy ridden. You can't help mm-hmm. but just to kind of like yeah. rock and bang your head. Oh, yeah. Good to know. They're the going on, on my YouTube, list. Yeah, video. YouTube are so grainy, though. It's like you can tell they're from the 80s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they definitely didn't have HD back then. You could tell those videos mm-hmm. were like shot on like 8 millimeter or something. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the goal. Well, mission accomplished. She came to me in a dream. Well, she was born in a storm of impossible lives. She wouldn't dare they thought to fly back what they had done. All the words made her shake her eyes pierced in their wake, and she vowed. Never will you touch me again She searched high and low For a place to go And made a love to see Something's calling for me She took her first day Body frozen from me And she cried Alrighty, today's first guest is a soulful singer, artist, and visually stunning performer whose songs not only portray pain and loss, but has a good, healthy dose of rebellion. The intense and interceptual Alexa Ray from Plexiglass. Alexa, what is up? Hey, hey how's it going? Pretty good. How are you? Hey. Currently. Whoa, my Alexa just went off. Hold on. Okay. That- <laughs> <laughs> that was that's my life. That's I was wondering what that voice life. was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's Oh, that's got to be a pain. Yeah, hold on one oh second. Let me unplug this thing cuz she's <laughs> going AI on my ass. Yeah, that's what <laughs> happens okay. when you have the Echo Dot in your house and Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's so funny. I didn't I even think the singularities here. Right? <laughs> the robots are rebelling. I will say it is the best however much it costs that we've ever spent because it tells us the weather every single day sure. and can spell every word that Nick can't. Which Wish is lots of words. <laughs> I'm a terrible spell. I'm a great writer. You know, can read through anything, but man, my spelling skills. All right, enough self-deprecation. Hey. <laughs> Let's get back to it. So, Alexa, I don't know if you know this, yes. but um, this episode was actually inspired by you. I was just going to interview you, and I had all these other fabulous artists I've been following for so long. And after obsessively watching your video and a theme of video a thousand times, I was like, you know what, man? If I don't make this happen now, I'm never going to make it happen. 
Let me just get a bunch of female artists that I've just been checking out for months and put them all together and just showcase this as women who rock for the female performers. So, you, But your video was actually the inspiration for me to put this episode together. Dude, that's so flattering. Yeah, I saw that you posted that kind of the other day, and I, I had no idea. I'm so flattered. I really appreciate that. That's amazing. But that's what it's all about, right? People inspiring each other, what I always call weaponized mm -hmm. creativity, everybody kind of mm -hmm. supporting each other in the creative community. And I think that's important. Absolutely. And you've got you've got such a spectrum of stuff that's personal and then stuff that's a little bit rebellious. And I think it's great. How do you kind of handle that? Because we're in this weird, like toxic political fucking vipers pit. Do you feel like mm -hmm. All that politics, what kind of impact is it having on your music? Or is your music kind of like that's you're a political animal like me? So is the music coming from that place mm -hmm. and building out because you're so into politics and activism? Or uh -huh. is it just kind of seeping in, but you're trying to keep the music separate and keep it more focused to personal experience? Um, I mean, I think it's definitely like like you were saying, it's trying to keep kind of a healthy balance of both. Um, I think at the end of the day, though, even with the political stuff that I do write, that it still comes from, like, my personal feelings on it. You know what I mean? Um, because when I wrote the song Resist, which is very pointed towards our political climate right now. Yeah, it if, was. You right. know, it was, it, was a, it was a need for something that I wasn't getting from other music. And that's a lot of the driving force. It's, it's obviously I want to talk about things that I believe in and try to reach out to people that feel the same and rally behind that. But I think initially it does always kind of start personal for me. It has to, you know, to be believable. Right. Um, to be relatable as well. So, so Can I say on a side people. note too? that I saw um, an interview that you did where you said, um, it was on that Greatest Day interview, and mm -hmm. you said you are going to think about dialing back the weird. Please don't dial back the weird. I love the weird. It's yeah, not, don't do that. It's not, don't do that. It's not like that. No, no, no. It's not like that. I'm, I'm happy you brought that up. It's not like that. It's just, um, I think it's more along the lines of just, always I'm always going through kind of like a rebirth you know like I think we always do as mm -hmm. humans I think they say like don't your cells like reproduce like every seven years or something you have like a brand new set of cells or something like that um I feel like I kind of do that as a person and as an artist so it's just it's just continuing to learn and continuing to grow as an artist and I think because going back to the climate of the world right now, I think that a lot of the stuff that I might have considered weird or people might have considered weird within sort of like a pop alternative, dark pop genre is not as weird anymore. I think that's really all it is. Uh, it's just okay. that I see what you're yeah, like, yeah, like the music that I have always wanted to make is now starting to not be as fringe. Um, so I think that's really all it is. Does it make it feel less special? Cause I know coming from the punk community, <laughs> a lot of times when 
punk bands will get more mainstream, a lot of purists, yeah. as they call them, will jump ship because right. it's what D. Snyder, we were talking about this on yeah. um, Dan's show the other day, calls a shiny diamond syndrome where it's mm-hmm. like, I got this shiny diamond, but once I show it to everybody, it doesn't mean as much. Is it kind of like that? No, no. Because, I mean, like, at least not for me anyway. I think... I think music is meant to be communal, you know, and if that means that we all sort of, yeah, like you were saying, you know, initially too, like, like if that means inspiring each other, you know, I guess, and even like getting into people trying to claim that like different people are, you know, stealing their style or something, you know, but I, I think the way to approach that is, you know, imitation is the, purest form of flattery kind of thing you know like we're all going to inspire each other to like take risks and go in different directions that we never thought we would right on yeah yeah right yeah you know and i think and i honestly think that is (laughs) if you're yeah and i think if you actually that's the, the the great thing about music is you want it to create a response if it it doesn't matter if it's negative positive you want a response um right as the artist of course you want it to you know, we're the hardest critiquers of our own stuff. We're going to be the ones that are the hardest on ourselves. But I think For you sure. want that response. And and, um, and I think that's a good thing that you, you you say that, like, okay, I'm going to go back into the creative wormhole and see what else I can pull out of myself because that's the only way you get better as well, too. So Right. Well, we're also in a strange place, too, and I've made this point a couple times on the show, where they used to say there's no such thing as bad publicity or bad press, but now Mm -hmm. literally a tweet someone digs up you tweeted four years ago can thrash your career, and it's a totally different animal. Yep. Nobody's allowed to learn anymore, unfortunately, with the internet. You're not allowed to grow. Yeah, which is ironic considering you have pretty much the sum of all human knowledge at your fingertips. And, and like, not to discredit the fact that I think there's a line there, you know, like, I think people should be held accountable for perhaps, if you're, like, in the public eye, I think people should definitely be held accountable for things they've said in the past that, you know, and given the opportunity to come forward and say, yes, I said these things. I have been able to grow in my thought process. Like, I think we should mm-hmm. allow for people to do that. But, yeah, it is, unfortunately, a call-out culture now. You know, people make spelling or grammatical errors on Twitter, and they're viciously Dude, yeah, I used to oh write for a yeah. news site, and I'll never forget one time I used the dreaded your instead of your with the U-R with the apostrophe R-E. Right. I used Y-O-U-R-E. And, yeah. like, the article didn't even matter. The comment threads were just thrashing me. Get out of the industry. You suck. And I, like, crawled into a fucking email hole for three days. Yeah. They just yeah. annihilated me over one miss, And my editor didn't catch it. But they just annihilated me over one like little mistake like that. Yep. That was crazy. All right, let's talk about how you first popped up on my radar. Because, like I said, you are a visually stunning artist. And the Thank video you. is beautiful. And that's not a word I really throw around a lot. For Anathema, um, I'm going to ask you, have you tell a little bit of the origin behind that. But just the video sure. itself, as I'm watching the performance and I'm watching the video... The one thing that occurred to me is, like, this had to be creatively exhausting for you. 
I can't imagine. I one, I was blown away that this was an indie piece of work, and it only had like six hundred views. I was like, man, this should have like a ten thousand, a hundred thousand views. This is insane. This is so good. Thank but two, you. it was like, man, you you had to be spent after that process. I can't imagine what goes into putting together a piece of work like that. It it was. It was definitely exhausting, and it was a concept that had been mulling around in my brain for, I want to say, by the time we actually got to film it, it was probably close to two years. So I, mm-hmm. I, had, I had it, and that's probably why it went so seamlessly, because, believe it or not, um, just because, you know, I'm a fucking poor-ass musician, so everything I do... I'm like, okay, we're knocking everything out in a day. Like, like because I can't afford to rent the space for any longer than a full, like, 10-hour shoot day. Um, so we shot it straight in, like, I want to say it was, like, 11 and a half hours or something. Um, and, uh, but I think we were able to do that because myself and Nick Syrian, who was the cinematographer um, on that piece, you know, we had been talking about it for so long and we had really just, just gotten everything down to like, like the milliseconds. <laughs> it felt like we, we really had everything pretty well prepared and we've learned stuff from that shoot that I carried on into directing the next one, which has yet to come out. It should be out in like a month or two. Um, but, nice. Yeah. What can you tell us about that? Um, can you tell us what song it's for or give us any sure. context? Sure. Um, it's called Dead Eyed Monsters. Um, it's a track that's not out yet either. I'm probably going to release them simultaneously. Um, and it's, I would say I wrote it and recorded it right around the same time as I did Anathema. So I think you'll kind of be able to tell just like the general tone of both of those pieces is like a very dark pop, um, feel to it. Um, and dead eyed monsters is just kind of about, uh, complacency within life in general. Um, whether that's in like a job, um, which it tackles kind of directly in the video, um, or, you know, just, being content and not striving for more in your life kind of got thing. you um mm-hmm. yeah so yeah yeah um but i love it's exhausting you're right but i love 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 being able to have complete control over my visuals it's one of the more rewarding things about making music is um being able to see these visuals through because a lot of the times when i get done probably not while I'm like the initial writing process of the song, but by the time it's all fully produced, I have some visual idea of how it could be represented. Um, So it's always really awesome to see those ideas come to life. Well, Hannah, I sent you the video and I was like, man, dude, I I think it's one of the first things I sent you for the artists we have on tonight. And I was just completely blown away how do, how do you guys feel, I'll throw this to Hannah, how do you feel when you watch a video like this? Is it more about the context, the lyrical context? Or, like, are you a lyrical person to start with? I gravitate towards lyrics more than music. Um, are you kind of wired the same way? 
No, I would say kind of the opposite because I came to music first through an instrument and only recently mm. through lyrics. So the things that stood out to me about the track, first and foremost, were, I guess, just the context. A, mm. I love anything that comes from a dream and then manifests into artwork. Like, that's how Frankenstein mm. was written, and that's one of the greatest things ever written. And um, so I just mm-hmm. love seeing that, that old method still happen. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I watched the video as soon as you sent it to me, and I was like, wow, I feel exhausted. Like, <laughs> <laughs> not, not, in a, not in, like, a bad way, because I didn't, I thought the song was very good, but just, like, the weight of the context, you know, the yeah. domestic violence and the assault, it was just, like, so painfully real. And mm-hmm. it was, like, who, who is the, the targeted audience for this, this material, you know? And I guess that's a question I bring to a lot of art that's getting made right now because everyone wants to make something that's very political. And I respect it. The best art comes out during huge times of political turmoil. But, um, mm-hmm. but like, is it for the people that have gone through those same things? And are they looking for solace? Or is it is a video like that for people that have no idea about, about you know, rape or sexual assault? And, like, yeah. try and get them to understand the mm-hmm. discomfort that goes with it. Yeah, I, I think... I think when I set out to do it, it was like you said, like this came to me in a dream, you know, this, this was like a weird, I don't want to say it was like, like one of those like, like night terror kind of things or anything, but it was the most vivid dream I have ever, I can still see her in my dream. We were like on like a beach and she just, walked into the beach and drowned herself in front of my eyes. Wow. Um, so I can, I can still see that. Um, and I think I, I knew I needed to tell this story. Um, I'm an ultimate skeptic. I, 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 I love, love, love um, any sort of science fiction or anything. doesn't mean mm-hmm. I like full fully believe in ghosts and everything like that. No, I have some skepticism. You know what I mean? Like, cautiously, um, you know, I'm not sure if, like, this was just my brain or if I was really visited or anything like that, but I just knew I was compelled to tell this story. Um, I like to think, though, just to to interject... To answer your question... No, you're fine. Just to answer her question, I, I think... I was struck with the fact that even though this wasn't my own story, it was not dissimilar from stories that are mine and of sure. my friends, my female friends. So I, yeah, I think it was for um, survivors of this sort of behavior and trauma. Um, for mm-hmm. sure. Nice. You know, um, what I was going to say is, I like to think it's a little bit of both, right? Like it's from your own brain, but maybe it's also the cosmos lining up, sending kind yeah. of those brain thoughts out because this is what needed to happen at this moment in your life. Absolutely. And that's why I, I like that you said that too, because that's why um, people often ask me, like, do you, do you like look back on past material you've put out and do you regret anything or anything like that? And, my answer is no, never, because that was my truth in that moment. Even if I'm not in necessarily moment, yeah. 
there anymore. Like that was my truth and how I wanted to tell those stories in that moment. And I can't regret that, you know? Mm-hmm. So That's wonderful. Yep. I would love to Good talk to you about this video for the rest of the evening. We've got to get our next guest in here. I do want to make <laughs> no a side worries. comment. And I don't know if you're responsible for this or your husband, Todd. I know hmm. that he has ambiguous music and he plays a part in all plexiglass things as well. But your yeah. IG page, your Instagram page, I was like, all right, well, let me look her up. I'm going to follow all the artists on Instagram. I barely use my Instagram, but I'll follow all the artists. And I was blown yeah. away. I'd never seen an Instagram like that. Oh, with the tiling? Right. Yeah. No, that's no, that's me. Yeah, I do a little social media management and, like, uh, visual designing on the side. Um, and, yeah, that's all me. Thank you. Nice. I'm glad you I'm glad you noticed stuff like that because sometimes I'm like, does anybody <laughs> really care? Or am I just, like, doing this to avoid? So I really appreciate that. No, I mean, and that inspires me. Like, oh, man, what can I be doing differently? And once again, we're back to the whole um, weaponized creativity, pay it forward type yep. of our community thing. Goal, but, yeah, sure. when I it was very eye-catching. I was like, holy shit, how come nobody's ever thought – I don't spend a lot of time on Instagram, so maybe other people have done this. But I was like, how come they no one's have. ever thought I'm not, to do it? I'm not all right. that original. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. All right. I got you. Yeah. I'm not that original. Let me thank you for calling in tonight. And please tell thank all the kiddies so where we can find you online. Um, for sure. It's at Plexiglass. That's P-L-E-X-A-G-L-A-S-S. Oh, um, by the way, pretty much find me everywhere that way. Hmm. Um, we're going to end with Lament and Route. You asked us to play that. It was your first track. Do you want to tell us anything about yeah. that before we play it? Yeah. Um, this song was fundamental to figuring out what direction I wanted to go in as an artist. Um, I wrote it because I was just angry one day. It's just, it's <laughs> really just about having that terrible hate on the tip mm -hmm. of your lips because you're just fuming. Um, so, yep. All righty. Well, we will talk to you awesome. soon. Awesome. Cool. Thank, Thank you so much. No problem. You guys have a good night. You too. You too. Bye. Excuse me, I'm sorry, but I like to
Plexiglass with Lament en Route. Up next is Beck Black with American Mister.
Alrighty, our next guest is a force of nature unto herself, whose haunting voice and artistic style perfectly radiates in its brilliance. Her clandestine EP is probably one of the best EPs I've heard this year, and her potent lyrics cut straight to the metaphorical bone. The musically savvy Beck Black. Welcome, Beck Black. Wow, thank you. That's a really good introduction. Yeah, I try to make everybody feel comfortable, you know, first impressions and all. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. <laughs> no, you don't get a second chance on a first impression. That is very true. Thank you so much for having me today. It's so nice to be here. Virtually, uh, it's some sort of uh, sound wave for you guys on the radio. Hello, everyone. Howdy. Hello. You know, Hello. This Hello. is part of a collaborative showcase a female artist i've been following for a long time and i just kind of got inspired to weave it all together into this tapestry that i'm calling a women who rock episode because there are so many great just indie artists out there who i don't think get enough recognition and not and honestly it's like where i think all of the powerful good music is coming from right now is the indie world mainstream mm -hmm. doesn't offer a whole lot to a guy like me amen amen yeah, I mean, I'm really honored to be part of your Females at Rock show. I mean, we've been rocking forever, what, the last couple thousands of years. It's nice to get a little recognition sometimes, you know what I mean? I mean, recognition's always go. good, and it's part of that community spirit that we've been talking about. And one thing I noticed about you, and I'll just kind of qualify all this, is every musician we have on here, we talk, and you could tell they have, like, a deep passion for what they do. They have a deep passion for music. I was watching interviews with you and watching your videos. It is almost like music is encoded on your DNA. I know you play multiple instruments. And I was like, man, Beck Black is like almost as close to human you can get as music personified. I can tell that music is like something that's, you're one of these people like music can save our souls, I feel like. Saved my life many times. Well, tell us about that. Uh, I believe that. it saved my soul, too. Uh, well, I mean, I, I started uh, in classical piano when I was nine years old. And I actually ran into my old piano teacher the other day. I'm here in North Carolina. I'm flying to Los Angeles tomorrow because we have to uh, do some recording sessions. And I believe that uh, when I was nine, I was a troubled little kid because my parents got divorced. And my mother put me in classical piano. And I started learning how to play Mozart and Beethoven and Tchaikovsky. And it really transformed my life from being a, a pissed off kid to being um, immersed in something that gave me joy. And so when you find something, when you're going through something hard in life, like a divorce for your family, your parents, and mm -hmm. I really feel like music brought me out of some sort of dark cave I was in. Uh, and, and I... I started learning piano, and then when I was in sixth grade, I was in this um, classical band, and I played flutes, and, and the teacher was like a Mr. Holland's opus. He uh -huh. had me play French horn, which oh, okay. was the same as a flute, and he had me play percussion, and he said, you know, we have a jazz ensemble, and I think you should play bass. And I said, well, I don't really know how to play bass. He said, well, you play piano? I said, yes. He said, well... You're going to learn, you know how to play piano, so you're going to play like 25, 6 to 4 by Chicago and Black Magic Woman Santana by Santana, and you're going to play bass with the keyboards. So 
I would do that. I was in a jazz ensemble. We would play the football games. Two guys would carry my big keyboard <laughs> to the middle of the halftime field, and I would play bass with the keyboard, and that's what inspired me later in life to be like a Raymond Zurich and to be the bass player in the band and to play with the piano or I play with a microcorg, uh, a, a synth, or a JDXA Roland. I'm actually represented by Roland, but I, I learned how to play um, you know, bass with the keyboards. Eventually I, I picked up the bass guitar and I, I started writing songs with that. And it was just like, whatever made me feel something was kind of what instrument you'd pick up next, but it was all because of the piano. And actually I hope to inspire people that if you don't know how to play a musical instrument, the piano is one of the best instruments to pick up, to learn how to play anything. Cause from there you can play the yeah. guitar yeah, and it's, it's really a percussion is. instrument. So I also play yeah. a little bit of yep. drums and everything like that. So it just encompasses everything. And whenever you learn how to play music and play different instruments, you can write songs. So I didn't even know I was a songwriter. I actually went to film school out here. I'm in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina right now. I went to UNCW. Um, I was in Frank Capra Jr.'s program. His dad did It's a Wonderful Life. You probably hear all the birds. Yeah, yeah, behind me. yep. Yeah, um, I did film, and I, and I knew I was a script writer, but I didn't know I was a songwriter. So until I moved from Wilmington uh, to California, I was an actor, and I was uh, casted as a role as a sailor. And I wrote this waltz because I was inspired by the character, and that became the theme song for the movie. And Ooh. I knew at that point that I could write music, and that was only uh, maybe about 12 years ago. So wow, what a journey. Later in life, That's, I, I, what a, yeah. Yeah. And Hannah, you're also a bass player. Do you kind of feel the same way, like music kind of saved your soul, or did you approach it from more of like grew up in band technical aspect of it? Um, uh, very good question. Well, pretty much everyone in my family already played an instrument, and bass was kind of a niche that wasn't being touched on by my family, so that's the direction I went to. But I totally relate with, you know, as a angsty teenager who was grieving some some trauma and family drama, I found right. that practicing and then later performing was just like the greatest release of yeah. all anxiety mm. and depression. It just like gave you something yeah. to focus on. And, and in my uh, community jazz program, the teacher always said, if you want to fight like children's drug abuse, just give them an instrument. Yeah. Give them and I definitely else, agree with that. Productive. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I totally agree. I wish, I wish I, there's so many, that's the, not to get political or whatnot, but that's one of the crazy things living in Baltimore is there's so many people that push for the arts and push for like extracurricular activities. But yet the first thing that they cut in budgets are the extracurricular activities or the arts. So, so you sit back and you're like, well, you want kids off the streets, but you're not giving them anything to do to get them off the streets. And, right. and if they do, it's it's coming out of people's uh, pockets, which, you know, after a while, yeah. you know, if you're not getting help from, you know, support from other uh, powers that be, it's it's not it's just going to fade away, unfortunately. Yeah, oh, it's that's not really, just that's a really um, good point. The arts, too. It's a lot of after school um, type of programs like football sports, or, base, or you know, yeah. sports. Who's yeah, exactly. Hey, can we move on to the clandestine EP? Because I know this was produced yeah, by Don Bowles from the uh, Bowles from the Germs, but I had read an interview and you were kind of talking about 
the stuff that you guys do and that you're determined to keep everything independent, which is a DIY punk guy. That's something I really respect. Um, do you think that, like, explain to me, or kind of explain to the audience, because I get it, how important is it to keep everything independent, in-house, and kind of DIY? Well, I mean, as an artist, sometimes you have to build things from the ground floor up, and I feel like the way that you can truly be an artist is to be free, and when you're independent, you have that personal freedom and you have, you have that drive to really make it and you can't really depend on others. You can, you can, you know, I feel like it's just, I, as a filmmaker too, it's like, I do my own music videos. I direct them. Um, I, you know, I see, I see the vision of the song from the moment. It's just a few notes to being choruses and bridges to the video and the visual aspect because everything has its own theme. So I like that I actually get to see that, that visual and that sonic through, if that makes any sense. Uh, I get to see the dream come yeah. alive the way I see it personally, because how others may see it may be different. So um, it's, been, it's been an interesting trip, to say the least, to be a DIY. Um, I mean, it takes a real village to make music happen because you can make music Amen. happen. We did, we did clandestine we released that um, a few years ago, and it it took a couple years because you you play a couple shows, we play the Viper Room, we play the Whiskey Go Go, and you only get so much money, and you have to put that money into your record, but there's really no yep. money for um, for promoting it, and so that's where the 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 D. Why I swear of lax because I put all my money into my Sonics, but I have nothing to promote it and nothing to distribute it with to make it a bigger thing. So um, and that's where a label would come in and help. But I feel like a lot of it's just on. You have to be your own army, you know, and you can't depend on other people. So that's if you want to see your vision come to life, yes. yeah. If you want to see your vision come to life, you have to do it yourself. And Odell, I mean, yeah. we've been playing in any bands, you know, our whole, well, our whole younger life and doing this show. Yeah. I mean, when I was doing the yep. political show, I had offers to move us on to like Sirius FM and all that crap. And they were like, but you can't do this, this and this. And I said, no. And we just started our own network because I couldn't imagine getting yeah. into a situation where I birthed this baby. But then somebody has like somebody tells me, sorry, you can't bottle feed it. You have to like feed it this way or no, you can't hmm. teach it this. You have to teach to that. Yeah. I couldn't imagine giving birth to that creative baby and then having someone else come in and tell me how to raise it. They, they well, I know, I know. W, the how. The how, how exactly. And I know, I, re I remember uh, just being in, you know, being in bands. And I remember uh, the last, like, band band that I was really in, um, we had opportunities to sign to a couple indie, smaller indie labels in D.C. And, and it was the same way. And we're sitting here like, wow, this is supposed to be an indie label, but they sound just like they're giving us the spiel that, like, a bigger label would give us. Um, so, you know, eventually we just did it ourselves, like you were saying, because they wanted this, they wanted that, they wanted this, they wanted that, you know, and it was just like, no, nah, we don't feel comfortable giving you all of that stuff, so um, we'll give you this recording, but we're going to hold on to our rights to, to publish and, 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 and everything else and, and stuff like that. And, it, and, it's, and, and like you said, it's something that you have to, be strong in your own mindset of like, hey, I'm confident that I will get this out. I'm confident that there are other avenues to go to get it out. And it worked out for us that way. I mean, what did yeah, I used to, to tell the band? 
back in the Even Steven days, I said, what if I came up to you with a crystal ball and you were convinced that this was true, that this would happen? And they were like, here's Even Steven on stage in front of like, you know, 50,000 people, whatever, HFS the bowl or whatever. Um, you would right. do everything you could to make it happen because you would already know that creative payoff would be on the back end. So why don't we just act mm-hmm. as if show up to band practice? You know, let's get this stuff done because I feel like you're not taking it seriously. But that I could do a whole yeah. episode of me ranting about that. Um, we got to get you out of here in a couple minutes. Let's talk about the new album. I I'd read that you live right above Hollywood Boulevard and your new album is going to yeah. be called Hollywood Boulevard. I'm assuming there is a connection. Yeah, I'm living uh, right above Hollywood Boulevard and all its madness uh, created a song and it's actually a map of Los Angeles from uh, Sunset to Cahuenga, Fairfax to La Cienega. The valley seems so far from concrete marble stars, Hollywood Boulevard. Nice. So, yeah, and actually um, a dear friend of mine is Rodney Bingenheimer, and he was the first to really believe in that song and... Um, I showed him the demo, and he actually started a lot of people's careers, like David Bowie, Blondie, the Ramones, and yeah, he heard yeah. that song, and he said, that's a hit. And I said, well, thank you so much, Rodney, because he was the first to play Life's a Circus, and a few other of my songs, like Vampires Come Out at Night. And I Red like Dog. that song, yes. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you. And, and Rodney started at K-Rock. He was there for 40 years, and now he's on Little Steven's Underground Garage. And he plays me every other Sunday or, you know, a couple here and there because um, he's always playing new music. But um, he teamed me up with the Standells, and the Standells were a punk rock band from the 60s. So I've been playing and writing songs, co-writing songs with Tony Valentino. So we have a new so- couple songs out called uh, Talk to Me, uh, You're Never Gonna Stop Me that Rodney plays often. And a new one, which is a cover of an old song, Riot on the Sunset Strip. So that I actually nice. rewrote a couple of uh, lyrics for and we're in talks with the copyright uh, at Universal because, unfortunately, in the 60s, a lot of bands signed with major labels like Sony, and, and, and uh, which was MGM at the time. And poor Tony, he's in his 60s, and he doesn't even have, we don't even have the rights right now to even do like to redo a cover of that like you it's just very interesting how so fucking crazy industry works that i'm actually managing this right now and i told them i had to change a couple lyrics because back in the 60s about the long hairs and about riots with the police and i said we don't we don't need to have that i need to change it where it's big hair because nobody cares about long hair hippies anymore that's that's right you know like passe (laughs) and i was like so let's change some of these lyrics about you know and and make it about we're all one and we're all rocking out so we filmed it on sunset boulevard because it was right in the sunset strip and rodney bingenheimer he was in the video it's gonna be coming out soon and tony valentino from the standell so my point is is that you can be with a major label and stuff like that but you really mm-hmm. have your artistic vision as being independent, and 60 years later or 50 years later, Tony and I are still trying to, you know, get the, you know, we're trying to redo the song and make it a new, and, and it's and it's difficult because like crazy. Universal just bought it from Sony, and I'm um, in talks with the copyright department, and because um, you have to do everything legally, oh my so I'm like my you got to do it all, yeah. I'm, you know, and I'm. I'm having to figure out everything. I'm like, look, guys, I just changed a couple of lyrics because I wanted to make it more modern. And um, 
and this is kind of difficult right now. So we're actually having to put that project on hold, even though we just filmed the video for that. But I've been working with an amazing brand named Warm Audio, a microphone company, and they found me through NAM. So all the independent artists know and artists who are signed, they go to NAM, uh, which is in Anaheim, the National American Music Conference. And everybody, you know, talks for a couple of days and makes some friends. And through NAM, I was playing two years ago and a microphone company picked me up and they've been flying me all over the country to do amazing songs. We're actually re-recording Life's a Circus. Um, we're doing a modern version with synth, with some Roland synths. Wow. Uh, since I'm okay. by Roland. And uh, we're doing yeah. that with Chris Montgomery, who was the engineer and producer of The Killer's and Mumford and Sons, May the 5th, when I fly back in. And then nice. um, Warm Audio had us record Ryan the Sunset Strip. That's how we did that. And then now I'm actually doing country, too, in addition, because as a writer and as a performer and singer and a musician, I don't want to be constricted to one genre. I mean, let alone, gotcha. I don't want to be constricted. Um, so everyone's like, well, what kind of music do you do? And like clandestine, for example, is, is pure rock. And we did that with Don Bowles, which is a dear friend of mine. And, and now we're, and I'm doing country too. And I'm doing rock. And you were doing and like I'm a power doing, pop and stuff too, right? Yeah, I'm doing the power pop. I also, in addition, I have a band called Beck Black. I have a band called Jinx. Right. Jinx. Yeah, Jinx. Yeah, exactly. Yes, which is also yep. an indie label, which is amazing. So it's like indie labels are the way to go. It's not about doing things with the majors because your, your art could be shelved at, with a major because somebody bigger with a Instagram social media following is, uh, you know, making more weight. But I don't care about a following. Mm -hmm. I don't have a huge following. I don't think so personally. But maybe one day I will, but it's not about the following. It's about creating good art. It's creating good music that That's when I go exactly. into the grave, I'm going to be happy about what I did. I'm going to believe and feel good about what I did. And, and I believe that my purpose here personally is just create art. It's, if it's film, if it's music, it's like, you know, it's all about creating. It's all about inspiring people. It's all about everyone. And well, the, you and made a great case. I mean, that's all Mr. Smith goes to Washington right there. I, hopefully all Thank the kids are taking this in. <laughs> And, and not to continue on on a, on a tantrum here or anything or a, what a ta no, you know, whatever uh, what is it called? Tangent. Like keep on. Yeah, ta well, yeah. Tangent. You got it. Yeah, tangent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not to continue on a tangent here, not a tantrum like I'm having a tantrum. Um, my first music I ever performed live was in Jamaica, because I'm here in North Carolina right now. You get on the oh, airplane, wow. two hours, you're in Montego Bay. And my mom and I was there, and there was a house reggae band, and I said, can I come and sing a song with you guys? I said, yeah. And I did Bob Marley, and everyone loved it. So for the next week, I did Bob Marley every single night. I would learn different songs, uh, Bridges of Babylon, from, you know, different, different songs from different albums. And I just played Bob Marley every single night. And the Jamaicans came up to me and I said, you know what? You filled us with so much joy, and they gave me Appleton rum and hugs and Bob Marley CDs, and I, and I thought then, this is having an impact on people, just me singing Bob Marley randomly, that maybe this is the place for me where I need to go, and this is where I need to go from here, because this is giving people joy. So music not only gave me joy as a kid, learning classical piano when my parents are going through a divorce, but I'm in Jamaica, and it's actually making people feel something. 
so Jama- uh, so like reggae was my first music. And then I got into rock. So people may ask, well, how in the hell are you going from rock into country, man? And I'm like, that's because as a musician, as someone who has joy through music, I don't care what kind of music it is. I just want to do it. And I just want to give everyone joy. And I'm feeling something amazing. Like being on stage is one of the most amazing feelings yeah, you can feel. And you lose yourself. Like I so yes. Yeah. You know, and, and it's like, this is, this is what I'm meant to do. This is giving me joy. It's what I want to do. And thank goodness I can continue doing this. And I'm going to continue doing it the way I want to do it. And that really shines through. And that's why I said in the beginning, we got to get you out of here and get our next guest in. But that's why I said in the beginning, music is encoded on Beck Black's DNA. You can thank feel you. that. When you, you watch what you're doing, it's more than just a passion. I can tell basically you are embodying like music as the way you see the world and the way you live your life. And that shines through. Yeah, thank you. And it's not necessarily anything I chose. I chose acting and went to film school, but music chose me. And that's when I had to surrender to it and say, this is what I feel is a part of me and this is what I have to do. And so everyone out there that's listening right now, pick up an instrument. My, my most beloved instrument right now is a guitar. I'm playing that with Jinx right now. And any beautiful microphone that you feel that resonates with your voice and sing, just do it. Don't care what other people think, what other people say. You do what gives you joy and feel good in that. FD, I feel like you need to work that in that little. Words. And that's one to grow on. Do, 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 do. That's a perfect <laughs> PSA for kids to get into music. All right, Thank we could talk you. to you all night, but let me get you um, out of here because we got to get our next guest in. But before you go, please tell everybody where we can find you on the wonderful interwebs. You can just go to B-E-C-K-B-L-A-C-K.com, which is BeckBlack.com. Beck Black Music on the Instagrams, Beck Black on the Facebook. You can also check out Jinx, J-Y-N-X dot L-A. Come find us on Jinxagram as well, everybody. i got two different bands. i got all different genres. But what is it it's all about? It's just feeling good and what you do. So thank you guys so much for having me. I hope you enjoy uh, Life's a Circus, American Mister. Um, every single song is yes. a personal life story. We didn't get into all that tonight. But, hey, maybe you guys will have me on again, and we'll talk about that another time. Uh, no, I'm going to take you up on your North Carolina. Oh, definitely. Uh, both yeah. Neo Dell's parents live down there. That's definitely something that's doable. We've got to do the next one. Well, let's one do live. it, and we'll do it on video. You know what I mean? Like, let's make a little fun interview out of it. And our dear friend Hannah, that's our guest um, from East Hollywood, we're going to have to bring her out here, too. So, you Anna, hear that, Hannah? There you go. Anna Paul in Baltimore. Everybody, <laughs> what's up? Nick, it's so good to talk to you. Thank you so much for for <laughs> contacting me and inviting me to be part of your show. I'm so honored to, to for everyone listening tonight or today, wherever it is, where you are in the world. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Beck Black, and uh, I'll call you back. Right on. Thank you. We Awesome. It. Thank you, Beck.
that was Beck Black with Life is a Circus. Up next is Katie McCall and Blind Midnight Sun. Dancer in the dark, ghost inside a heart, fire doesn't start. Silly alibi, speaking oh so shy, a light that never shines before it's midnight. Blind and way too quiet. Never speak your mind, always compromise. I saw her poltergeist. What is she waiting for? Damn, there's so much more Go on, burn down the door Before it's midnight Blind And way too cold When the day breaks Weighing every stake She always hesitates Too hard to concentrate When the fever breaks She never takes the stage Before it's Shades off, let the rain drop, paint a teardrop like magic. Don't be so blind. guest was born to perform eloquent graceful and a total badass she's a contortionist actor dancer pianist and vocalist whose vibe is like a rainbow exploding from a deep dark abyss <laughs> the magnificent katie mckell hi katie hello hi good thanks for having me that was quite an interview. Hey. thank you <laughs> absolutely hey i want to start off with this because i was kind of digging into your background as much of your background as i could find and i know you're classically trained and have been performing since grade school and when i look at your body yeah. of work it just made me wonder like was this in the stars did you always know you were going to be a performer or did you go through a phase where you're like i want to be a cop or a tax accountant or was it just like a <laughs> <No>. foregone conclusion <laughs> you were performing for a living yeah, I've known since I was three years old. I told my mom I'm I'm going to be on stage. That's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. So yeah, I've always known. <laughs> and that shines yeah. through. Um, with your background, kind of tell me a li- tell well tell the listeners a little bit about your background. And also, are your parents very creative and artistic? Because I feel like coming from that sense from such <laughs> a young age, your parents have to be pretty creative themselves. 
Yeah, they are. My dad is a is an amazing artist, um, like with his um, hands and fine artwork. He can build and draw and paint anything. Um, so I, I got my artistic side from him, but also my mom is a writer and a book critic, and she's she's always been very creative with her words and imagination, and she loves reading. So she inspired me to read a lot. Um, and that's always been one of my dreams too, is to to write books and write children's books and. But I've always been drawn to to doing telling stories through music. So yeah. Nice. <laughs> I read an incredible story about you doing theater that you spent three months at a school for the deaf and blind researching the role of Helen Keller. Is that correct? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that was probably my wow. most challenging, but one of my favorite roles I ever played. Yeah. And that just shows yeah. your kind of classical training and your dedication. Yeah, uh, acting is, I always say, my number one. I'm an actress first, and then a singer, and then a dancer. Um, but it's, I feel like you need okay. to be able right. to, to do acting in order to, you know, even write good songs or to dance or tell a story with your body. Or, you know, acting is always first, I believe. So. And I'm yeah. speaking of acting. <laughs> so when you, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Odell. No, so when you went to school, because you went to school in, uh, in Michigan, right, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, Interlochen Arts Academy. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, which is, by the way, I, I did some research on that, and the alumni that you have there is unbelievable. I'm, I was, like, sitting there writing down all these names <laughs> of people that went there. And, you know, I'm like, holy cow, like, Mike Wallace and Ed Helms and Nora Jones and Josh right, Groban yeah. and all kinds of people, but – um. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty. It was an intense, an intense list. Um, yeah. So when you went to school, did you go there for acting, or did you? Was it a combination of all three, or did it start off as um, a, know, an acting thing I did. first? Um, I went. I got a scholar, a presidential scholarship there for theater. So I did go there for acting. But when I was there, it's really known oh, wow. and okay. it's famous for its music department. So I was just surrounded by these musical mm -hmm. prodigy children. Like, it was unreal. Just the, the musicians there were incredible. Um, and so the whole time I was there, like, oh, you know, wow. I love acting. I was, I was doing, but, you know, I was the stage manager because I was new, so I didn't even get to be in the place. <laughs> but um, I was just blown away by the music. And the whole time I was there, I was, like, wishing that I was there for music. And so I would sneak in to the piano rehearsal halls and I would just like stand outside the doors and listen to these people play and yeah. <laughs> so it was So how do you kind of approach oh, wow. that? Being an actor first, and we're gonna talk mostly about your music on here, how much of that filters in? Because when I watch you, I was kind of thinking, this is a musician who kind of acts and does contortionism and all that to pay the <laughs> bills to facilitate the music in. But you're actually yeah. saying that the music comes second. Um, and the acting comes first. That's surprising to me. I kind of thought it was the other way around. Um, well, I think it's, it's it goes hand in hand, the music and the acting. But I, I've been doing acting a lot longer than I've been doing music um, as far as writing my own music goes. But, uh, yeah, I did start playing piano at a young age, and I was, started singing at a young age. I've been in over 35 musical theater plays. Um but, yeah, I do still feel like I'm still new at the, you know, recording artist making albums phase because I've only done two right now, which haven't been released yet. But um, but my whole goal with my music is to bring it to Broadway one day and to make it come to life, you know, with actors 
singing my songs. So, yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad you mentioned that, too, because I put a post up the other day and I was like, hey, go check out everything that Katie does. And she has two. And that's right. I had to put it in parentheses, two albums coming out, which is unusual. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. have a guest yeah. on here. Yeah. It's usually promoting one project. Tell us about right. these two albums. Why are you putting two out? Of, I guess one is associated with the play you're doing and another one's just straight music. Kind of give us some context with that. Okay. So I started writing uh, music about eight years ago I started writing my recording my first album and then along the way I was thinking I really want to write a play <laughs> and the uh, theater scene in LA is not it's not as big as it is in San Francisco or New York obviously and I've you know started auditioning for theater and I'm like I really just want to make my own play <laughs> um, so I started writing a play and then I just started writing the music to go along with the story, um, but I kept writing. I I was writing songs like for the last and recording for the last six years straight. Um, and as I was writing the script for the play, it was weird. The songs just started falling into place, and everything started making sense as I was finishing up the story. Um, so I have twelve songs that fit perfectly into the play that I wrote, and. Then I have all the other songs that I was still writing as I was going through relationships and heartbreaks and living life, but I have all these other songs that I had written that I still love and I think are going to be great, but they just didn't, oh, oops, sorry, I dropped them. They just didn't make it into the play. So that's going to be an album as far as like singer songwriter Katie McHale goes. And then that other. Can I interject was, real quick and ask you yeah, something? Yeah, um, Coming from that classical background, but also talking about here, writing about these experiences, do you feel like you're a more methodical writer? Like you're thinking, okay, this goes with this. Like you're seeing all the notes, like a beautiful mind thing put stitched together. Yeah. Or are you more of an organic writer where you're mm -hmm. like, dude, I'm just writing what I feel? I, I think I just write what I feel. Yeah. And that's really like what my play is about too. Is it? It's about the idea of how artists, when they write their greatest work, it's kind of as if they're outside of their body, and something is writing through them. You know, the idea of getting out of your head in a mm -hmm. way. I know that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Of, oh yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's what my play is about. The audience isn't really going to know if my lead character has is crazy and she's talking to an invisible phantom character or if he, the ghost really exists and is writing music through her. And it's going to be a little bit of, I'm not sure which is which at the end of the play. Um, and it's about the meaning of life and the importance of art um, versus machines with the effects of technology taking over the world right now. Um, it takes place in the future, set in 2030, and how and robots have kind of taken over. So it's kind of a robot versus human idea, and it's about a robot with a soul who is reincarnated from the past life as a little girl who wanted to be a musician. So. Wow, that is yeah. a lot. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, Odell, I was just talking about this the other day where they have AI now that uh -huh. is brewing the perfect beer. And it's like, we're going to make sure like it stimulates these taste buds on this level. And I'm like, okay, oh get, get AR yeah. in charge of like what intoxicates us the most. That's a smart move. Yeah, yeah there I'm you go. I'm kind of skeptical oh, of the God. whole like robot yeah. thing, Odell. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and then and then the next thing you know, it'll it, it'll be put in the, into a pill, 
So you can just oh, take God. it, and you you won't have to. Oh, yeah, you won't even have to drink it because you don't want to get you don't want to get indigestion or gas or anything. So they'll just oh, give you a nice little God. pill where you you know I, I can see that. That could happen. That could happen. That's so scary. Yeah, oh, it could. God. It seriously could. Yep. Yeah. And it's funny, but, um, too. Let me turn this over to <laughs> Hannah real quick. Hannah, me and Odell's in our mid-40s, and you're somebody who kind of grew up at least on the tail end of, right. like, devices and social media. Do yeah. you have the same skepticism, Hannah, that, like, us old guys have towards technology? Or is this just kind of a generational thing, you think? Um, I think, for me, it, it's definitely more of a problem than it is a tool. <laughs> um it's good to hear you. I, um, <laughs> uh, but I've always been a bit of a bit of a technological dinosaur. Like I just recently got rid of my flip phone in the last year. Oh, um, girl, after my own heart, Dee had to like into getting rid of my Man. flip phone. Yeah, so I'm not sure if I'm the, the best representation of my generation to field any questions about social media because I mean I I see that there are good parts to it because. If you're a little weird and you grow up in a pretty conservative town, you don't really have anywhere else to turn to aside from the internet to know, oh, I am allowed to be weird and I am allowed to be eccentric about these things. And, and same, like this radio show couldn't happen without the internet. How else would you Absolutely. find out about these up and coming folk in Los Angeles without, <laughs> without it? And how would you disseminate yeah, sure. it if you had to be censored? So, That's a great point, yeah. too. And I say that all the time when, you know, I remember a couple years ago, actually, Odell, it was your wife, me and your wife were talking outside of, we went to that Lee Camp show, that filming. Yeah. And she's like, wow, yeah. like, this is so amazing that you're doing this, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? It's only because the technology was invented. And I was like, maybe our friend Pat who, you know, he's kind of like the person in our group everybody kind of bags on for being a drunk and stuff. I was like, he could be amazing <laughs> at holograms. He could be like the greatest fucking hologram technician in the world. Wow. But holograms, yeah. like the holodeck doesn't exist yet. I was like, I just fell into this because it gave yeah. me a format to go out there and talk to people. So, Aww. you know, I kind of give credit that the technology was there for me to be able to facilitate my love of talking to people. But I have to give that's, props to the technology. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I, te technology used – it's the same way with, like, money. Technology, you use it in the right way. It's, it's a monumental thing. But, of course, we have people that like to use it in other ways. Oh, yeah. And um, that's where, you know – that's Facebook is a fucking viper's pit. There's no right way to use it. Oh, yeah. Facebook is terrible. <laughs> All right, let's yeah. talk about American Horror Story. Me and Dee love American Horror Story. Actually, my, oh, my yeah. second favorite season, my first is Asylum, but my second favorite uh -huh. is Freak Show. And you did a lot of, like, the promos for that because you're also a contortionist. Yeah. I yeah. actually did Asylum, too. I was just in the background, but I was one of the, the crazy people in the nuthouse crawling around the floor. <laughs> Is oh, it wow. like, when you see yourself, this is what I always wonder, because I've never done any actual professional acting, but when you see yourself in that environment, do you go, well, now I know what it's like for Katie to be in a nut house, because I can watch myself <laughs> as, like, if there was an alternate reality that I went down, this is what I would, yep. like, do you think of it in those terms? Yeah, I, I do. I love, like, watching people, too, and... um Sometimes I wonder, like, are we all just in some big insane asylum, especially living in Hollywood, because everyone here is crazy. <laughs> but, um, 
Yeah, sometimes I don't know like what is what is real and what isn't, and like you know, I don't know what other dimensions are out there or how we were created. I don't really know, so I think about that sometimes. But that show is amazing. I do love it. Yeah, I can't imagine being a part of something like that, and how many moving parts there must be. <laughs> yeah, that. It was a. I remember um, being in like costume and makeup for that, and they made me look as ugly as possible. It was funny. It was a little strange. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up with this. Art, do you consider yourself a perfectionist? Are you somebody who just like me? And you can ask Dee. There's times I'm writing things, and I, you know, I also wrote a children's book which hasn't been published, Aww. but it's still sitting there. It's called Edward. Yeah. And, and it's adorable. D. It's the there best thing Aww, ever. Yeah, of course good. I do. Oh um, every time I read it, everybody gets that warm, fuzzy feeling at the end. And every Aww, time I read amazing. it, I get the warm, fuzzy at the end, which means it is Aww. truly a perfect, perfect book. It just needs the art to go with it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like oh, about really? a little sapling named Edward that grows up in his forest of mighty oaks and he always feels like marginalized and left out and he befriends a oh. band of fireflies and the main firefly oh. is like Sergeant Calypso B. Lightning of the Firefly Brigade and he's afraid of the dark so they keep him company at oh. night and the whole thing is like there's nothing to fear in the dark that's not there in the day and it has a whole theme and I have a whole oh. idea but once again, you have to pick your projects, right? My The thing I think right. that hobbles me is I take on too much, and instead of doing one or two things really well, <laughs> I do like yeah. 10 things pretty good. And I'm trying right, to write that in. It sounds like your book is amazing, though. I wouldn't say it's not great. That sounds so it's cute. Amazing. It's <laughs> But I get it. I totally get it. But yeah. anyways... Yeah. Um, are you a perfectionist <laughs> who goes back? Like, I droned over every word. Like, I suffered every word. And I was like, what if I put an and here instead of an or? And, like, D was like, oh, my God, it's perfect the way it is. Are you somebody yeah, who yes. suffers every note, every word, every phrase? Oh, or are you someone who yes. can walk away from it and go, okay, this is organically what it is. It's time to put it out in there into the creative ether. Uh, I'm definitely a perfectionist uh, to a fault. I mean, my my script and my music has been done for two years now, and I've just been sitting on it, like analyzing every. I read it over, and like, okay. And I finally, like, just recently, like, I I gotta just get this out there because I, nothing ever is really done, though. You just have to just let it go sometimes and trust it. You gotta let it exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I think that is a smart I, place to end then because we've got to get out of here and get our next <laughs> guest on. Katie, it's been a delight. Okay. Please tell everybody where we yes, can find you, you so on much. the internet. <laughs> thank you. Um, so it's Katie, K-A-T-Y, Mikkel, M-I-K-E-L-L-E. And I have a music page and I have an Instagram. And um, as soon as my first music video is, is ready, which I'm shooting at the end of May, I'm going to release my music for... Um, my first album, which is called The Circle of Eyes, and that's going to be the play and the soundtrack to the play. So nice. I'm really excited. Yeah. And we open nice. with that. All right. send us All a right. video. I try to always promote everybody who's on the show, send traffic over to their Facebook fan pages, oh, send us you. a video yeah. so we could share it on our Musical Osmosis page, and Absolutely. tell us a little yes. bit about the Phantom of the Dollhouse song we're about to hear. Okay, so um, the two songs, uh, Blind Midnight Sun, is the song that the ghost or the phantom character sings in my play. And it's, the song it's, is about this lead robot girl who thinks that she needs to stop 
making art and stop writing songs because nobody believes that a robot can actually write original music. And so they're starting to question what's wrong with her and they're going to send her back to the factory. And she's like, I, so she thinks she needs to stop herself from creating and this ghost character is singing to her like you such an allegory for other things too, like marginalized <laughs> right. kids whose parents don't support their creative dreams. I get it. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what the song is about. It's about just living your truth and being as great as you can possibly be without being afraid. So that's what this song's about. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Thank you very much. And All we right. will be in touch. We should have this show up Friday. So I will send you all thank that. Thank you info. so much. Awesome. Nice to Thanks talk with you. You too. Bye. Not a day, not an hour, not a moment slips away that I don't wonder why, why, if I'm just a puppet. If I'm just a puppet, if I'm just a puppet, then why does it feel so real? I just, I just, I just loved you. Okay. guys we're about an hour and a half in how's everybody feeling remember when you said you do like 10 things at once yeah yeah that's what this show is (laughs) is tonight's edition exactly i am trying to stay on point man it's just i get inspired easily i guess he does Alrighty, our next guest is not a musician. However, rock the rock world would be far less interesting without her. She is a fashion designer and graphic artist who has worked with such legends as Alice Cooper, ACDC, Kiss, Rob Zombie, owner of Hazmat Design, Karen A. Hazmat. Karen, how you doing? Good, how's it going, guys? Good, good. I want to thank you for calling in tonight, man. I have to imagine you live a Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Wow, this is rad. Thank you so much for having me. I super appreciate it. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I want to start off in the beginning because this is so incredible to me. You actually started off at Hasbro, right? Designing Star Wars and Transformer toys? I did. A- I worked at Hasbro throughout college. I went to school in Rhode Island around design, and that's how I paid my bills was working at Hasbro, and it was the nice nerd in me, because I love Star Wars. So I got to do special edition Star Wars packaging. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, other 
nerd in me was they had the original gouache paintings from the toys in the 80s all over. So I would just wander into yeah. the office and be like, there's the original gem and holograms. <laughs> so it was rad. Now, this is the question you have to ask, and I'm glad you said you have a nerd in you as well, because the nerd boy in me, who has 10,000 comics sitting next to me in a closet, was like, how in the fucking hell do you walk away from a life like that? How do you walk away from Hasbro? It was was great. I really enjoyed working there. You know, like I said, I was in college, and it was packaging, and, you know, packaging is very limited, so you're stuck with a sort of look... And you make the toys in that sort of look. And working in toys is great. Like, I loved it. I just knew, you know, I like I said, I just graduated. I wanted to move to a bigger city and kind of see what else was out there sort of thing. So, I mean, it was a great job. It was great, you know, for the time and everything like that. But I kind of just wanted to see what else the world had to offer. Right on. I mean, that makes total sense. I mean, what are right. we as creative entities if we're not always pushing the boundaries, right? Absolutely. You know, and it's, it's, you know, it's a working in graphic design is a little different than, you know, doing illustration and things like that. So especially in packaging, like usually you're just kind of assembling with a certain look. So there's only, it, yet it is creative, but it's very limiting. Well, tell so us Karen, about were that. You at the, Go ahead, oh, Nick. sorry, Nick. Uh, but real quick, were you at the uh, building across from the Dunkin' Donuts Center? Uh, no, when I worked there, it was still in Pawtucket. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, because I, I, I was in... Um, that's the one, yeah, like I said, that was many, many years ago now, too. But I think it was like 2000 and yeah. something, 98, 99, 2000, somewhere in there. But yeah, yeah, it was, uh, I went to Pawtucket. I had to drive to Pawtucket every day from Providence, which actually is not far. It's like a 10-minute drive. Okay. Because um, yeah, I was, I was in Providence the other day, a couple weeks ago, and I saw the, the Hasbro building there. It was like right across from oh, um, the Civic Center. They probably... Yeah, they moved downtown. They must have because I haven't. I go back every so often because um, a lot of my best friends are still up there. People I went to college with and stuff like that. Okay, I've been in a couple of years now, but yeah, so they must have moved. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, cool. So yeah. tell us about Hasbro Design. Um, Let's kind of dive into that, and also as kind of a sidebar because yeah. I've been looking through. You have a couple different sites here, and I've been looking through them and just kind of blown away, especially from the graphic design standpoint. Do you feel okay. like mission accomplished? Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan. I grew up in the metal world. I'm more. I'm more connected to the punk community. I played in punk oh, bands. Nice. That's definitely my oh, tribe. But yeah. as we will get to, I worship Alice Cooper. He's always my all-time favorite. And I'm looking through. Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine. Um, <laughs> I'm looking through these designs. Do you kind of feel like you did what you set out to do, or do you feel like, oh man, dude, like this is only a fraction? I have so much more work to do in this world. Yeah, you know, I feel like it's like the latter. Like it's only so much of a fraction. I feel like as an artist, I mean, at least with me, I feel like there's always room for improvement. There's always room to get better. There's always bigger, better projects out there that you could be working on and like self projects that you can be working on and things like that. So I don't know. I feel like art and music have a lot in common that, you know, there's always room for growth. There's always room to get better. And I kind of am that sort of person that I'm always trying to figure out a way like, all right, you know, so why don't I do something like this more and and try different things out to try to kind of uh, get better in general at what your, your skill set is. 
And I mean, that's what it's all about, especially for an artist. But as a human, on more of a philosophical level, it's about evolving, right? And kind of going out into, like Hemingway called, like the um, great expanse, like going out and seeing what's out there and always expanding your horizons. Absolutely. I mean, the world is a big place and a small place at the same time, but you really got to push yourself every day and kind of see what you can do or you just get stuck in kind of a rut doing the same thing. And there's also the, the mm-hmm. thing that kind of hit me when I was looking through all the material and I was kind of reading your bio. And this was the first thing that hit me because maybe I'm wired like this. You're a creative mm-hmm. entity. It's obvious you're passionate about what you do, but you work for people who are not also passionate, but probably very eccentric. So when you have an idea, especially like for something like wardrobe, and, and you yeah. tell, and I'm just throwing a name out there, like Motley Crue, hey, we're gonna let's do it this way. And they want to do it another way that you just think is just terrible. I'm not saying that you had that with Motley Crue. I'm just throwing a name out there. Yeah, How do you yeah. kind of draw that line between what the artist wants and what you being in this industry for so long knows will work better? Well, I mean, and, and this might come from the graphic design background is, uh, you know, we're kind of built to please. And um, I also look at demographics. So especially when it comes to music, uh, since I do a lot of different genres of music, I kind of look at the demographic of their fan base and who they're selling to. And so when I started doing merch, I kind of came from the fashion background before I landed into merch. And I look kind of at what people buy. So I think of it as a fashion standpoint of what what would be your favorite T-shirt? You know, if you saw this, and regardless of the band, if you're like, I love that art, I want to wear that every day. And a merch standpoint, that makes people more money. And, and when you go back to fashion, when it comes to a band, everyone has different tastes. So I kind of do that sort of thing. I take their taste, I take their demographics, and then I go, okay, you dig this, and your fan base kind of wants to see this. So let's kind of find a happy medium and kind of massage it into a way that you feel comfortable wearing something on stage, and it works well as a unit with the band, and it's not something that is, you know, that the, that the audience will be like, whoa. And there's also ways to take it the other way, too, where it's kind of good for the audiences to be well. So what you're saying is there's yeah. a lot oh, of yeah. finesse and, dis- and diplomacy in it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, here's the deal. It's like when you're making custom clothing, you got to make the musician feel good. And that's just like any clothing. Any clothing, you know, you want to feel good on the inside. You want to feel that you could kind of like take over the world. And especially when you're on stage, you have to have that. So I want... The, la- the worst, the last thing that I want to do is dress something in something that they don't want to wear. It's like your mom taking you to school and being like, you have to wear this. And you're like, oh, mom, don't let me do that. And like, all the kids are going to make fun of me. It's like that, but on a grander scale. Like, you know what I mean? And they got to look rad. So and they When I was there. in seventh grade, my cousin John, as a prank, told my mom that these lime green parachute pants were the latest hit among the kids. My mom That's bought me a parodies for my birthday and yeah. I got ridiculed all day and you had to the to wear point. Those, right? Well, what I did is them. I took a pair of glasses, and wear them, slid them man. down the side, and when I got home, I told my mom I fell down the hill. You and ripped, I ripped them the, on purpose. I ripped I think them we've on all purpose. Been there though, or if you, it, it's dude, I, I used to rock the parachute pants. Like, not lime green, oh, Odell. Yes. These were not complimenting anybody. <laughs> with a yellow spike down the side and I remember I was walking up this hill now. they're bringing them back <laughs> I was like I can't have a repeated day and that was when the whole like weird I don't know how old um, so I don't know if you guys remember but this is like 
back, God, in the early 80s, where there was this weird thing. If you wore green after Thursday, supposedly you were gay or something. It was totally random and stupid. And I was just, like, got so much shit for it. I remember breaking a Coke bottle and then taking a glass and taking it and splitting my pants all the way down, like, the side of the right leg. And then going home, I'm like, I fell down the hill and I ripped my favorite pants. And that's how I got out of that dilemma. Oh, my God. Got in that next level. Like, I love these so much, but oh, Lord, they rip. <laughs> yeah, because my mom was so happy. She's like, I went out and we were poor. I grew up, like, in the poorest neighborhood in East Pittsburgh. We were on welfare. And my mom spent, like, $30 on these pants, which was a yeah. big deal back then. And I knew it would break yeah, up. Yeah. Was, like, I hate them. Yeah. But my cousin John had called me. And, like, after my birthday, he's like, oh, so how are you liking those pants? And he started laughing. Oh. I knew it was a joke. So I had to find a way out of that sticky situation. Oh, yeah, my goodness. You, did, you hurt in zero feelings, and you got the pants gone. So it was a win-win. I think the takeaway is I should run for president. Yeah. I mean, you got it covered. Green pants for everyone. Yep. Green <laughs> pants for everyone. There's my platform. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Corn green pants for everyone. Corn, yeah. It's like Randy <laughs> Macho Man Savage or something. All right, let's move on to this. <laughs> Because what you do is so fascinating to me, Karen. Um, what do you think is the biggest like radical change in the rock world fashion-wise over the years that you've been involved in it? Um, you know, uh, fashion always changes through different you know, years. So it's, it's kind of, it's more diverse, which I actually really like. So um, cool. there's different subsects and there's different, but there's a lot of crossover happening now which I find very interesting in crossovers in music and crossovers in fashion. And mm-hmm, you find mm-hmm. bands that you wouldn't think that would wear that and you see them on stage and you're like, huh, it's actually really cool. And what wouldn't work, say, you know, 30 years ago or t- even 20 years ago, it's like a new fresh vibe going on. And I kind of like mm-hmm. that, how people are taking from different, you know, from the punk scene, people are taking from the metal scene, people are taking and kind of like making their own vibe out of it. I mean, I come from before Hot Topics, where you had to make your own clothing. Like, and I grew yeah, up we'll go, yeah. and we made our own cottage pants, and I used to paint my friends' jackets, and that's kind of how I got started, you know, this is, you know, for friends, but, you know, for doing, like, leather jackets and stuff like that, we would sit there and put each individual stud in. I mean, if I'll do it. But, you know, and everyone <laughs> had their own jacket and their own look, and it was, like, individual to them. And now you could go into a store and buy it anywhere, and you go to the same show, and seven people are in the same thing. Somebody have it. What? I come from that where I feel like that's like, I don't know, I, I like individual fashion. And it says something about you as a person sort of thing. And to have something that no one else has, I feel like, I mean, that's just, that's the best way to go. Well, I know, I know um, for example, and it's funny you mentioned that because Nick can attest to it. I know, as you know, for us, it was going to Georgetown and D.C. to get, what we needed yeah. or you had to go to that, to that particular concert. Um, yeah. You know, we used to go to smash and commander Salamander, those places like that. And, yeah. and I was, and that's what I want. And that's what I was going to ask you. I've noticed how the, the genres have crossed over. I remember um, being in middle school and high school and being African-American, I used to get laughed at because I would read skate magazines and people would be like, Oh, you know, skating is for white people and stuff like that. Yeah. But then it's so funny that years later, that's the big part of the hip-hop culture. And I just sit back and laugh. I'm like, yeah, it's funny. Even punk rock clothes or metal clothes, 
you're, you're starting to see a lot of R&B artists. Um, I mean, look at like the Misfits or Slayer or any of those oh, yeah. bands, Metallica. You see anybody wearing, you see anybody and everybody wearing their clothes. Oh, now, corn, dude. Or, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, hip hop is yeah. corn fashion. I thought would be wearing the jackets like Nicki Minaj and stuff like that, and I think it's awesome. But I'm the same way. I'm from Florida. Yeah, there was nothing in Florida when I lived there. I mean, there was a little. We we had to drive mm-hmm. four or five hours sometimes for one show, and then when I would travel as a kid, I would come out to Los Angeles or New York, and I'd save up all my money. This is before online ordering, and you either save it, you go record shopping, you go T-shirt shopping. And then yep. all the rest you're getting from uh, Goodwill and kind of sewing it together and make your own bit. But there was nothing to buy in Florida because yep. there was no, there was a little, like, there was, like, one store in, Mel- uh, on, in Miami and one store in Fort Lauderdale for records. But that was it. By the way, wow. Odell, yeah. I'm, I'm kicking the nostalgia with mm-hmm. the Commander Salamander reference. All right, we got to get you out of here, Karen. <laughs> Before we go, I've got to hit on my all-time favorite performer. I mean, he's coming up on 50 years this June is when Pretties yeah. for You came out. It's amazing to me. Alice Cooper, what is it like? Well, you've done a lot of work for Cooper, too. What is it like working yeah. with Cooper? Uh, he's one of the most amazing dudes ever. Like, hands down, he's become, like, dad number two to me, and he's the him and his wife Charlotte are just the sweetest people. His daughter Calico is one of my best friends. They are just one of the best families in the world. They're just the nicest people oh, and awesome. so thoughtful and just just wonderful, wonderful, good-hearted people. I I cannot even imagine. All right, let's get you out of here. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, please tell everybody. Yes, though no, I mean, dude, it's always good to talk to people who are in, who have their fingers in different artistic endeavors because i think it gives you a lot more scope i mean people go to these shows especially back in the days when i was going to like glam metal concerts and they don't think of all the work i mean they don't think of the lightning crew and uh, people who are putting together the wardrobes like you are and all that stuff and i think mm-hmm. it's good to get people involved in hearing the stories of what goes behind all that because there's so many moving parts especially when you put on a stadium show like you know my oh, first yeah. concert was white snake back in 87 and what had to go I, into that is mind-boggling, but you don't see that. You just see the slick veneer of the finished product, and you just assume because it looks so natural and organic that it just kind of came together by osmosis. Yeah, it kind of plugged machine. the name, osmosis. It, it takes a lot of people to get that really slick looking, and it's, people work, I mean, people on tour working all those shows, they work such long hours, and they're such hard workers to make everything go perfectly. Right, and I'm glad we had you on because we can kind of get oh. that word out there to the younger kids who are listening to yes. podcasts nowadays so they can kind of understand behind that curtain what's going on. So tell everybody where we can find you online. Oh, uh, my company is hazmatdesign.net and the fashion company is hazmatdesign.com. So but the hazmatdesign.net brings you to both. Right on. Well, I want to thank you so much for calling awesome. in. Awesome. Awesome. Thank, thank you, Karen. Me. Oh, it's a blast. it was a blast. Thank you so much. Oh, no. Thank you, guys. It was Brad talking to you. Right on. We will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Yeah, have a good one. All right. Bye.
righty, guys. We are back. Uh, Odell and Hannah are suspiciously missing this segment as we talk to our next guest. I will let you listeners kind of figure out the mystery of what happened to them because we are getting ready for our next guest. Dee, I know you're excited about this next guest. I am. Uh, you have been incessantly playing videos and telling me to, you know, Google stuff and yeah, yeah. I've been brightening up your day, so let's get her in here. Our next guest is beautifully bizarre in all the right ways. She makes hip look lame. Lame looks subversive, and subversive look like mandatory reading for grades K through 12. Word huntress at Mind Power Recitements, Supreme Ruler at the Department of Descriptive Services, and my cosmic sweet soul sister from the fifth dimension, B.B. McPherson. B.B., how's life at the Department of Descriptive Services? That good. Why, thank you for asking. It's wonderful to be here. Before we begin discussing the Department of Descriptive Services, I would really like to, um, you know, play you something that's very important because I have to uh, extend the disclaimer to warn you before we begin. So here we are, real quick. We love disclaimers. Okay, so I'll just cut out the rest. Let's get right to it now that that has been um, laid out for us. Um, I'm ready for any questions. Right on. Well, why don't we start with this? Why don't you tell all the fine, upstanding citizens out there, I'm sure are very civic-minded, what it is the Department of Descriptive Services does or does not do? The Department of Descriptive Services is a city service. We at the Department of Descriptive Services love to describe the goings-on of city facilities, structures of business, public places, and other public Structures, things such as the public pool, the uh, Department of Motor Vehicles. We love to discuss um, what is going on with the cell tower proliferations, all sorts of things about, oh, say, the post office is a very important topic that we love to discuss. Um, other things that we describe in thorough, um, in thorough, thoroughly are things such as um, the newest one will be church. The church, we love to go into the depths about the church and what it's doing exactly, as well as certain topics of um, political agendas like gag orders, as well as things as simple as something along lines of uh, along the lines of life and death with the hospital, how it goes down at the hospital. Some people make it out alive. Some people just don't. Huh. So does this make you part of the musical deep state or does this make you a musical bureaucrat? Um, a little bit of both. <laughs> Well, that's good to hear. And, and on a side note, I was checking out, like Dee was saying before we jumped on air, I've been obsessively watching your videos. And let me kind of oh. suggest a prop here for your city. I think watching Department of Descriptive Services videos should be like jury duty or something. It should be mandatory. Everybody should get drafted to have to watch them or to see you live. I, I agree. I think that um, it's very important that um, 
when you are at a Department of Descriptive Services show that you should bring a pen and a number two pencil because many times we do have forms that need to be filled out before the show and there is also certain testing, timed testing that takes place just to make sure that the audience is actually taking in all the information and remembering the facts. And not also that, if you go to your website at the Department of Descriptive Services, you can actually apply for a job with you guys. And I think that's brilliant. That's right. Yes, you can. If you go to the website, you fill out all the proper information. And once that's done, um, you will get a, a message back to you rather quickly whether or not you are available to, or um, actually approved to be available to work with the Department of Descriptive Services. That's right. Wow, that's pretty quick. It doesn't sound like you're bureaucratic at all. No, no, not, not too much. Just a little bit. Just, it just depends on certain things. For instance, if you're coming to a Department of Descriptive Services show, many times you have to stand in line. We have um, moments where we have to put everyone in line and they have to wait because it's just one of those things that that happens in society, so it's very important that we um, make sure everybody gets to experience that. And is this single file, straight and orderly? Yes, exactly. That's right. I would expect nothing less. Beautiful, yes. beautiful. Let's talk um, about kind of like the complexities of life. When you're talking about technology today, over the course of the past 20, 30, 40 years, has it become just too many moving parts? Has it become too cumbersome for us mere humans, do you think? Um, I don't think so. I think that the progression is good. I think that Maybe we could even speed things up a little bit more, <laughs> you know, maybe make commercials, maybe make um, videos. Uh, our attention span should be even shorter than it is today. I think that that is something that we should work towards. I think you're taking a position I've never heard anybody take before, that our attention span <laughs> should be shorter. This is quite I a revolutionary so. standpoint you're taking here. Yes, it's just everything is just being dragged out too long and there's just so many so many things to do that we are just wasting time by, you know, trying to enjoy things a little longer. We should really pick up the pace. I mean, we've got a lot going on, don't we, in this world? We've got to keep up. Sorry, I got distracted by my fidget spinner. I missed all of that. We'll just, we'll just have to move on. I'm sure you're making a salient point, but, you know, I'm, my mind was on other things. Oh, by the way, before we go too deep down this technological bureaucratic rabbit hole, I wanted to ask you how your possum, Fizzigig, was doing. Oh, unfortunately, he, he's deceased at this time, but his ghost Aww. is doing perfectly fine. He's doing... We still have the ghost. He's um, a part of the family. He makes appearances in our family photos. But unfortunately, Fizzgig didn't make it out alive. Like, uh, unfortunately, none of us will, except for in the spirit world, of course. Oh, wow. So I'm assuming you already filed an IR-80 and a 1269 about his passing, right? That's right. That's right. And we also chanted, and now he is... Um, He's a part of the um, ghostly history of Griffith Park. I'm not sure if you're aware that uh, Griffith Park is also haunted. So Fizzgig is bringing a little positivity to all of that that's going on up at Griffith Park because, um, well, there's been many things that have gone wrong if you've ever looked into the history of it. And now that Fizzgig is there, 
um, buried there, it's it's um, it just makes it so much better. He's going to put everything right, nice isn't he? Yes, it's a nice uh, uh, page turn in the history of Griffith Park. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. It's glad to get some positivity out of this warped, alt-right, upside-down world we live in now. This is a very positive yeah. show. I think the kids can take away a lot from this. And maybe they'll want to go into civil service on different levels after hearing this. You're inspiring the masses, the youth of today. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. That's so kind of you to say. Now, let's get to the other end of this. What is the greatest threat, do you think, facing mankind today? Oh, um, the greatest threat. Let me think about that. Um, Too long of attention spans? Yes, too long of attention spans. And also just maybe not enough time in traffic. I think that um, maybe we should consider, you know, narrowing the roads as opposed to widening them. It's just that, you know, it's, it's gotten to the point where we spend a lot of time in our cars. And um, I know for a fact that number one, I do all of my uh, morning rituals, makeup, hair, um, you know, get dressed, put on my shoes in the car. While I'm on my way, channeling fizz gig. Yes, because you see, there's um, in Los Angeles, there's a lot of traffic, and you see. So I mean, it's it, I live in a house, but I spend most of my time in the car, and I've gotten really comfortable there. So for me, traffic, you know, is <laughs> traffic. <laughs> And following that logic thread, you know, the average person probably has about three different screens, their laptop, their TV, and their phone. Maybe we need to get people yes. more screens. Maybe everybody needs to have six or seven screens apiece that they're looking at. Um, that could work, but only if they're using them simultaneously because oh, yeah, um, right now they're taking too much time. I'm not a misanthrope. Of course I want them <laughs> to use them all at the same time. Good, good. I figured you would. I figured you were on the right track with that as well. Yes, I, I think, I think so. we're kindred think... spirits in this bureaucratic technological wonderland that we've stumbled into together. I would have to agree. I think so. Definitely. All right. Can we move on to Mind Power? And you can tell us a little bit about that because you had, we and you were talking back and forth on the deep, dark, secret interwebs. And you told me all about the premise behind it. And I thought it was just fabulous. Can you tell us yes. a little bit about Mind Power or, uh, yeah, Mind Power Recitements? Yes, I certainly could. Mind power recitements are um, basically, if I'm going to sum it up in a simplified type of um, way to convey what it is, are basically philosophies and advice, um, observations, things that um, many people probably like to hear and um, makes them feel like they're wearing a nice warm blanket. And how does that work out publicly? Does it get the desired effect? Did they, oh, oh, yes, yes. People seem to like it. Um, uh, most of the time, people are very interested. And other times, they look away. But I can see them looking out of the corner of their eye and listening with maybe one ear, maybe two. I think that would be the best way to kind of interact with it. Corner of the eye, one ear. That way, their attention yes. can also be split at looking at their phones or whatever else they have going on, playing bejeweled. I you don't want them to focus right. all their attention on you. 
No, no, I, I do not. As a matter of fact, that would just be awful. I think actually <laughs> not a good idea. Well, I think we're making a lot of headway. Do you have any other surprises for us before we go into the next section? Um, yes, per- perhaps I can um, tell you just a very quick little story about a house, if you would like. All right, but I'm only going to be paying half attention to it. Okay, wonderful. That's great. This is something, a very wonderful story called A Very Special House. So I'm going to tell you about this very special house right now. Are you ready? Lay it on me, sweet soul sister. (laughs) Okay, here we go. I know a house. It's not a squirrel house. It's not a donkey house. It's not a house you'd see. And it's not in any street and it's not in any road. Oh, it's just a house for me. There's a bed that's very special and a shelf that's very special. And the chairs are very special, but it's not to take a seat. And the doors are very special, and the walls are very special, and a table, very special, where to put your feet, feet, feet. Special, 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 special. I'm bringing home a turtle, and a rabbit, and a giant, and a little dead mouse. I take it everywhere. And some monkeys, and some skunkies, and a very old lion, which is eating all the stuffings from the chairs, chairs, chairs. And that's not all, and that's not all. They're playing posy wosy on the wall, wall, wall. More, 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 more. Glop, glop, glop. More, 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 more. Nobody ever says stop, stop, stop. I've stopped. Wow, I wish we had an applause app on your phone, Dee. Oh, um, actually, I... There you go. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank now, you Now, so I counter with a story. What's when that? I was young, let me counter with a story. Oh, I would love to hear that. This reminded me of when I was young. I haven't thought about this in years either. This is crazy. When I was little, I was a very isolated kid. I lived back in the middle of nowhere. I came from a very dysfunctional family. We were very poor. And this is in the 70s when I was young, young five, six, seven years old. But the local oh. library in PG County in Maryland had a thing you could dial called Dial a Story. And you would just dial this number, and as soon as the phone picked up, it just started telling a story. And it went through like this seven, ten-minute story. It put a new one every day, and it hung up, and you got your little story fixed for the day. And it was so magical because you just dial this phone, and there's this soft, like, concerning voice at the other end telling a story about a beaver or a beehive or whatever. And that's what you just did. reminded me of, as a kid... When I used to dial dial a story every day. Oh, that's lovely. They should bring that back. Yeah, they I remember should. one day I called and it was disconnected. I guess no and I was so sad. And he stopped and the library double whammied me because they used to have a box where people donated comic books and everybody could take a couple free comic books home. That's actually how I got started in a reading comic books, believe it or not, was from the local library. And they had right around the same time they stopped giving away free comic books too. And I was Aww. just done with the library. Honestly, I burnt Aww. it down. I mean, what would any civic minded seven year old do? I had to fucking burn the place to the ground. I had no choice. <laughs> no more dial a story and no more Spider Man. Yeah, that place had yeah. to go. 
They blew it. They blew it. That's that's really interesting. I love the Dallas story. Oh my god! Yeah, it was my first arson. You always remember your first. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yes, you do. Hey, you have an album coming out for Mind Power too. Tell us about that. Yes, that is coming out very soon. It's um, volume two. It's Outer Space Dimensions and Time. Um, Beautiful name. Thank you so much. It's a combination of um, songs of outer space and time and other dimensions, as well as uh, mind power recitement, advice, philosophies, and um, things like that, things of that nature, actually. And you know, and, and if you you'd like to hear, if you'd like to hear one, I could tell you one. Oh, please. Well, wait, hey, let me make this point real quick before I forget, sure. because you bringing up that title reminded me of another project you did, which I can't understand why it's it's faded into the annals of obscurity. But BB and Surge, <laughs> I have been listening to that relentlessly. Your album's up, actually up on um, YouTube, the Spaced Out Supernova yeah. Superstar. And I was like, yeah. I can't get enough of this. How do we get BB and Surge back? <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. Yes, that was the um, beginning, one of the beginning projects um, that really brought out and brought my attention to this line of work. And Bibi and Serge do make appearances. It's, um, it's one of those things that just kind of happens once in a blue moon. However, we do have future dates set for um, at least another 30 years. We're planning on... Um, coming out with some more shows and more albums in about 30 years. But in the meantime, we do surprise appearances, sometimes in Arizona, um, sometimes in France. But um, it's just one of those things that just sometimes happens. You see, I have to sometimes pry Serge away from whatever he does, whatever hole he's crawled in. And he, he gets very comfortable in those places. And so I have to really, you know, dangle like, some um, cookies uh, uh, right above the hole that he's See, I thought you were going to say cheese. He seems like a guy no. who would go for cheese. No, I, I, he I didn't He does like that. cheese. Oh, but good. I put him on a diet. <laughs> he was eating too much and he got really fat. So he got stuck on the, ex uh, uh, you know, the exit of the hole. So I had to just... Oh, like Winnie the Pooh and a honey tree. Yes, that's right. Yes, he's very much like that. And I wonder if Serge knows how area. much he has in common with Winnie the Pooh. He, the most thing they have in common is the no pants. That's their big connection. I like this guy more and more. <laughs> I'm going to have to meet this dude. He sounds like a pretty hip yes. cat. Right. He can be. We but got actually, off track. Not He's not. <laughs> Hit us with some more uh, mind power. Let us have it. Oh, sure. Here's one that's a little teaser for the album. So it, it's a good question to ponder over and really try to figure out the answer to this one makes you think okay so it goes like this if you give a dirty muddied handed child the choice of the sun or the moon they will always choose the one that is super big and round glowing setting and rising high into the sky blocking the view of the mountains that are always in the way so you don't know which one it is I gave you enough clues. Um, you would have to find the nearest dirty, muddied-handed child to get the answer to that. That. Um, well, you're in luck. We live on Meth Mountain. There's plenty of dirty, <laughs> muddied kids around here. 
Oh, that's good. Then you just ask them that. You can play that for them. I could probably they yell out the window right now answer. and get the answer. <laughs> like Ebenezer Scrooge yelling down to like the little turkey boy. <laughs> That'd be no problem. But I think it's a, that's a great idea. I think it is too. By the way, guys, if you want to send us something on musical osmosis and unlock the mystery of what happened to Odell and Hannah, please send it to us and um, we'll let you know where they are for this segment because they're auspiciously oh. missing. All right. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's move on to some more department work. Do you have an album coming sure. out with them or just some mind power stuff? We do, actually. We are two songs away from completing our um, third album, um, which we think we're going to go with the title Official Department of Descriptive Services album. The first one is High Fashionist. Uh, the second album Beautiful is album, by the way. Thank you so much. Um, and the second album is Governmental. We had a little problem when we pressed that album because um, it just came out all wrong. So then we released a governmental single, which has the song That Law on side A and Cell Tower Proliferations on the B side. And so um, that's there. But this third album um, has, uh, has songs, you know, it, it, we, the ones that I mentioned earlier. We um, go into the descriptive of the church um, also, um, gag orders. Um, another song we have on that, um, album is, uh, Durman. It's about the man, the in power, which is me. <laughs> so, um, that song has many, um, aspects and ranges of, uh, information. And so we're thinking about, um, the, uh, next few songs. We have two more songs to go on that, on that album. One album, the Department of Descriptive Services, is kind of at a standoff because um, my producer, Bronze John, um, he is very, um, he has a, a, a very good ethic about order. He keeps things in order, and I like to bring in the chaos. And so I like to mix in heavy chaos with the order. And um, Is it a pretty good time, balance, or does one or the other it win? It is. Uh, usually it's a good balance, but for this one, I'm being a little bit um, aggressive how I want the chaos on this Sweet. song to be. So we have a little bit of a, uh, I think I'm going to have to um, lock him up, <laughs> you know, to get my way. So I might just do that and then release the album and then release him. So that might be where we end up. <laughs> well, I am excited to hear this. I Hopefully we can have you back um, once that album drops and we'll play some of that and get more of the masses tuned in, re-educated <laughs> to the beauties of the Department of Descriptive Services. Oh, well, thank you so much. And, and perhaps that time we could have Bronze John on because he is a math uh, yeah, wizard, please. basically. He, is, he could give you some mathematical lectures that could take up a whole day. So if you've got the airtime, we could um, throw that in there. Oh, don't throw that gauntlet down. We did a 12-hour <laughs> um, episode, 30 <laughs> guests to launch this network, and Dee wouldn't let me do a 24-hour one. <laughs> 
nope. and the record is 48 hours. And I'm like, I want to do a 50 hour episode because I could talk forever. <laughs> and D keeps me in check. Yeah. In fact, she gives me the digital stink eye all the time. I'm running on and on with guests. So it's supposed oh, yeah. to be 20 minute interviews turning into 40 minute interviews. Oh, by the way, stream of consciousness here, just kind of going back and forth. Another brilliant person in your orbit. And I did not even know about this until I started kind of doing my diligent research into the bureaucracy of the Department of Scriptive Services. But another genius in your orbit is Bob Log. You're actually his sister. Uh, yeah. Yes, um, he's actually my brother, and he is wonderful. He he um, plays the the um, slide blues guitar on an inflatable boat with balloons overflowing like no one else, let me tell you. He is kind of a niche market. Not a whole lot of competition in that market. No, no, but he did steal my dog bowl idea. You see, um, I was in my song church, I was making offerings to the audience um, where I pour in an entire bottle of red wine into a dog bowl. And of course it's clean, but um, it's a great, it's large enough, you see. So the audience was thoroughly enjoying that, and they were well aware that it was a very clean dog bowl. So it was kind of a communal dog bowl of red wine um, as an offering to my audience. Well, he liked my idea so much that he started using a mini inflatable duck and filling it up with whatever um, elixir, he, he, wine or beer or something like that. And then he started using it. So he really copies me, you see. File many complaints to HR. That sounds yes, like an HR exactly. violation if I ever heard one. It is. Next time I see him, he will be fined by the Department of Descriptive Service for intellectual content theft. Yes, please. And if you need somebody to serve the subpoena, I'm your guy. I will go <laughs> to his show and serve the subpoena for you. Oh, thank you. I think that's a great idea. In fact, um, next time he's in your neck of the woods, we're going to make sure that that happens. That would just be absolutely perfect. Well, I couldn't think of a more beautiful place to end. We've got to get out of here. Please tell everybody where we can find all things um, B.B. McPherson and Department of Scriptive Services, Mind Power Recitements, everything that belongs to you on the interwebs. Oh, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. We being me and myself. <laughs> and, and, and I'm speaking for Bronze John as well. And Fizzgig. He's floating around back there. Exactly, Fizzgig, yes. His spirit lives on and uh, remains heavily influencing our um, love vibe. I could feel it coming through the microphone. <laughs> That's wonderful. I'm so glad because that is the intention. Well, mission accomplished, my friend. <laughs> How can we find you online? Oh, um, you can find it at uh, com. Um, you could also find many videos up on YouTube as well as um, uh, I actually have some articles up on um, Vice. Uh, I did two articles for oh, Vice. Oh, wow. Which, I uh, wish I'm I knew that. I would have checked them out. Why are you embarrassed? <laughs> oh, um, well, I hear that Vice is quite um, the place to work. So I, for that reason, my friend who informed me of this, um, that's the reason why I was a little embarrassed. Oh. But other than that, the content that I gave um, gotcha, was gotcha. absolutely grade A. So that part I'm not embarrassed about. By the way, this is the way my brain just flickers about like an old like slideshow. I just remembered when you said video, you've got 
a video for this great song, Poison Control, and I was telling Dean, yeah. I was like, what the fuck ever happened to Mr. Yuck? Why don't we have Mr. Yuck? When I was little, mm-hmm. all the bottles, and I was excited as a kid, like whatever department of descriptive services in our neighborhood would send out phone books, and it would send out Mr. Yuck stickers, mm-hmm. and my mom would <laughs> stick them on all, you know, the Twinkies and the Ho-Hos and stuff she didn't want me to get into, because she was saving them for herself. She'd put Mr. Yuck, no, nah, I'm just kidding. She'd put it on all the poison, and, that was, and they had to come Commercials, Mr. Yuck is mean. Mr. Yuck is great. And they don't have oh, Mr. Yuck hard. anymore. Is it actually, so much to ask? Remember, they oh, do actually have Mr. Yuck. There is a... Um, well, he's had to go underground, which yeah, I think a little is bit. travesty. So you can get him from um, an agency. I believe it's in Pennsylvania. Um, will oh. occasionally send out Mr. Yuck paraphernalia. Um, I work with a nonprofit and um, I used to do parenting classes. And so we called them up and said, hey, we'd really love to give Mr. Yuck stickers to our parents to use at home because that's what one and of the And the next day, all my with. odd socks went missing. Coincidence? They did. I don't um, think so. They did, but you know what? It was totally worth it because they did send us a couple of packs of Mr. Yuck stickers and even some coloring books featuring Mr. Yuck. Ooh. So I was. Are very, you going to bring oh. any home to me? I didn't. This, um, this is sad time. I, you Between, know what? I'm pretty oh, sure that is my dial a story. Um, you know, kind of reliving that trauma that it went out. That it finally blanked out. Now I didn't get Mr. Yuck coloring books. I, it's okay. You know what? I can I can make it right. I can bring you some. It's all good. I, also, I don't want to have to send a Department of Descriptive Services. I already have to serve one fucking subpoena coming up. I don't want to have to serve two, D. Duly noted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. righty. Um, we're getting out of here. We're going to play professional building. Is there anything you would like to, the audience to know about this delightful tale? Oh, yes. It's about um, going to work and uh, how it feels to work um, nine to five every day and um, where that can take you. You know, all that hard work, basically professional building is a descriptive on that. So is it just the sound of like sledgehammer smashing into bowling balls? Because that's what I think of, of what you just described. <laughs> a little bit. Very close. Very close to that. Yes. I knew it. I could feel it. All right. We're going to get out of here, guys. BB, thank you for taking some of your bureaucratic time out. To sp- I'm sure you're on one of your union-mandated um, lunch breaks right now, one of your seven daily lunch breaks. So I thank you That's for spending right. it with us. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on, on this uh, Tin Can Media show. And thank you once again. And one more thing, one more little sound bite for you as we close out. Here we are. <laughs> So thank you very much.
Talk out. Talk in. Work. Talk out. Talk in. Work. Talk out. Talk in. Work. Talk out. B.B. McPherson and the Department of Descriptive Services with Professional Building. Up next is Emily Fremgen and Since I Came Back Here.
Mm. righty, our last guest for the evening is a singer and songwriter with a lot of heart and soul. She plays a mean guitar and her music strikes a chord deep within the dynamic Emily Ferbjin. Am I saying it right? Firmjim. <laughs> Firmjim. Fremgen. 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 Okay. Fremgen. Emily, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And, you know, I kind of did a little bit of searching around the internet, as I do as I obsess over these shows, to find a little bit more about your background. And there wasn't a whole lot out there. But I know you're from Brooklyn, right? Yes. Right on. Um, I haven't been in Brooklyn in a long time, but when I was, it seemed like it had a pretty rough music scene. What's the music scene out there like? Is it pretty competitive um, out there? It's been good for me. Um, I was in. I'm actually. I was born in Denver, and I. I uh, and then I came here when I was 15, and then I went back to Denver for a few years, and that's when I really started doing music, and I had a harder time there. Um, oh, wow. and I, yeah, I started, I think it's just all, it's all about if you find your niche and, um, I started really, I mean, I've been, uh, singing, like doing music for years and years, but I really started playing out probably like four years ago. And I've been, I've probably had a show, at least one show every week since then. <laughs> so it's been, oh, wow. It's keeping me busy. Right on. And are you on a pretty broad spectrum of different acts that you'll play with, different people you'll perform with? Or is your sound so niche that they have to stick you in, like, people that are very similar in style? What kind of shows are you playing out there? Um, Well, I had, for um, a few years, I I curated a show called Americana Monday at Knitting Factory. Right on. Um, So I guess generally kind of Americana and then, um, in the last year, I got really involved in Sidewalk Cafe, which just closed. But um, so I got kind of into that the so-called anti-folk scene. So I kind <laughs> of brought in my um, thing, like beyond like a beyond a countryish thing, and more just like I don't know, like weird singer songwriters, and um, yeah, I'll play with anyone. So, what do you think has been the hardest yeah. thing to overcome then? The hardest thing to overcome. Right, yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like uh, I, I personally kind of plateaued a, a thing where, like, yeah, I could play a show every night, um, but I need to get to some kind of next level where I'm making a little more money doing it. I've and um, I'm working on a new album, and I'm I'm really putting everything into this one. It's going to take a lot longer, higher quality. Um, so hope, so hopefully that'll kind of like raise the, put me on another echelon. I don't, you know, it's just so hard to know what to do with it once you have the product, but. I mean, it's a brave new world. I mean, there's so much competition and we talk about it all the time, Odell. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you separate yourself from the pack? Because on one hand, it's so good. I mean, me and Odell started playing music in the 90s, and we were mm-hmm. out there pounding the pavement, stapling our flyers to telephone poles, standing in front right. of, like, the mall and handing flyers out to people that we mm-hmm. hand-drew or pieced together with, like, they look like fucking ransom notes because we put a bunch of pictures together out of magazines. <laughs> and now, the access... 
I mean, you can reach such a, a swath of people <laughs> with this amazing yeah. Google machine. But then again, there's so right. much white noise. Odell, it's like, how do you cut through? I couldn't imagine performing like we used to perform in the 90s mm-hmm. today because it just seems right. so hard, so treacherous to navigate well, those waters. Well, I you know, know I, and, I, and I, yeah, you do. And I know um, being a singer-songwriter, um, it's, it's definitely a little more difficult because there's a lot of singer-songwriters. There's a lot of people that play, like you said, that can go out and play every night. And a lot mm-hmm. of times... It's, it's just one of those things that you, okay, what do I have to do to, to, you know, take it to that next level? Or not even take it to the next level, but to sort of stand out amongst, there's a, especially right. in New York, God bless you, New York is a hub for that. So um, mm-hmm. what, 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 what are your plans on doing that? How, how, do you, how are you going about taking that next step um, like you were talking about? Well, just first of all, to keep doing it, I don't, I, I it's, it's never an, an option for me to not do it. Cause it's just, it's what I have to do and what I do. So, mm-hmm. um, I think, uh, that, yeah, it's, it's oversaturated, but it's a lot of white noise. As you say, it's a lot of people who are probably going to quit <laughs> who like aren't doing it for the sheer love. <laughs> but of the, the people work. like, like you, you who really say the work. You have to do it. Yeah. It's not even a choice. Right. Those are the people right. who persevere and kind of cut through right. because yep. it's not yeah. even an option to mm-hmm. stop. No, yeah, it's not. I, I don't have like a employee. And, and I, I, I try to remind myself that, you know, a few years ago, I would have loved to just be where I am now, just like playing and playing with the people I play with. And, you know, a few, a few years ago, I was scared to get up on stage um, and, and, um, so I definitely, you know, it happens really slowly, but it's, I think it's making an upward mobility, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what my plan is get, get this album done, I guess. So tell us about the there album. You Do you have hey. a release date? Do you have all the songs put together? What's kind of the flow and concept of it? Give us a little bit of background on the album. What can all we right, expect? I can do that. Okay. Um, well, I've been, I haven't put out anything in two or three years. Um, and so I have, a good I have some really solid songs. Um uh and I have a really great producer, my friend Keith. Um he's really challenging me in a way that nobody has before. I've only ever really recorded with friends who just kinda are like, Yeah, that's okay <laughs> like don't really push me and um we just kinda like record everything in one day, you know. Um, so we are, we've recorded two singles so far and I think they're both my, the best songs I've ever written. And, um, we recorded them in two different studios, two really like amazing prestigious studios with amazing engineers. Um, and one is like the rocker, it's it's more Americana, listen to YMZ. And the other one is, um, has been, people say it reminds them of Elliot Smith. It's, um, that, it's my favorite song ever, and it's called Flower Weed, and it's just uh, oh, wow. mostly just me and acoustic guitar. Um, and uh, so I want to release those and then do a crowdfunding for the rest of the album because um, I can't actually afford anything. Like the, just recording yeah. those two is kind of. I work at a donut shop and I don't have no money. 
But um, oh man, if, you know, if somebody said, "I'll give you three guesses where Emily works," a donut shop would be <laughs> one of them. That is so you. Really? <laughs> oh, I don't know if I should be. I don't know how to feel about. That. I worked there for seven years. Oh, I'm not saying it in a bad way. I'm saying yeah. it in like no, no. total. Yeah. Like if you had to make a movie today, that would be <laughs> like the singles. <laughs> If you guys yeah. remember that movie about the grunge scene of like the nineties, yeah. yeah. today, yeah. Yeah. like Emily working mm-hmm. at a donut shop would be like the opening scene. I can so see that. Well, thank you. Maybe we should make that the video because. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, if you don't, if you've lost yeah. your mind, you should absolutely do it in a donut shop. Yeah, I love. We can use the location. So. <laughs> I I just love donut oh, yeah. shops. I'm a guy who always liked hanging out in donut shops. That's so oh. weird about me and random. Yeah, but I remember yeah. like me and Richie Downs used to hang Mid- out at the Dunkin' Donuts in Waldorf, <laughs> Odell. And that's Mr. Mr. Donut, too. Mr. Donut was another big one. Yeah, I just oh, love Mr. donut, donut. Is that a West Coast? Is that no, why we're Waldorf. friends? Because donut, donut shops have played a very important role in my life as well. Wow. So there's, there's just a circular <laughs> connection. <laughs> Across the country. It is. And also, I, I think working at a donut shop in New York and being able to survive there is like yeah. a huge life accomplishment in and of itself. Because it's very true. Every big city hard, needs so. <laughs> every big city needs as many donut shops as they can fit. So yeah. you're making the city move. Thank you. Can Thank I you propose a plan? Yeah, you know, I do what I when your first album comes out and you tour, you should only tour donut shops. It should be the donut yeah, shop tour. Cool. Yeah, that would be super cool. And I mean, I can never eat another donut in my life. But oh, um, <laughs> um, but when I first moved back here, um, uh, like ten years ago, um, I didn't know where to play. I didn't um, know anybody else playing music, so I started just putting on shows at the donut shop. Nice. So I oh, yeah, cool. so I yeah. yeah, that's kind of it's So that's your old battleground me. then. You like you feel it's at home true. performing yeah. at donut shops. <laughs> yes, yes, true. Um, Odell, we've done, I think this is like the 77th episode and we have never said oh, yeah. donut shops so Congrats. many times in one episode. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. I know but they're great. great. Sure. I I live I live in Baltimore and right right Thank on you. our street I mean, I can walk. We, we, oh, really? Oh, we I have like three. three what? Uh, what? Uh, I know we're going off the beaten path. What? Uh, what part? Mm-hmm. I lived in um, was it Bolton Hill, and then Bolton Hill, very to, nice. Mm-hmm, and then we moved to Mount Vernon. Um, okay, I lived in like uh, Hamilton, Laurelville. Oh yes, yes. Okay, I yeah. remember that. I was. Yep. Yeah. So. I, I really yeah, like so, it. yeah, we have, th- yeah. oh, Baltimore is great, but yeah, we have, like, three donut shops right on our street, it's great, uh, really? one just wow. opened not too long ago, and yeah, yep, yep. I know if I so. move there, I can get a job. Sounds like we need to send this around, <laughs> this podcast, all the donut shops to get some endorsements. All right, finish yeah. telling us about the album, <laughs> and then I want to touch on um, your musical, Me and Lee, because we have got to get out yeah. of here for the unit, so tell us a little okay. bit more about the album. Um, I mean, that pretty much sums it up. There'll be 10 solid tracks. I mean, I, I need to come up with a really good title. That's the hardest part. <laughs> and um, good uh, a good album cover. I'm having anxiety about all of that. But, um, yeah, it's going to have 
like a wide range of my influences. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know much to say. I'm very proud. When of you do an album, do you feel like you're doing it as a theme? Like everything has to kind of follow a certain pattern, or is it okay if it's scattered shot creativity wise? I think it's okay if it's um, scattered. I think this will just naturally have that because it's been written. These are songs that have been written over the course of the last couple of years and, and just like so much has been going on in my life and I think it follows like a very clear pattern naturally. Um, How do you keep but, it relevant? Do you ever scratch things that you're like, you know, I'm in a totally different place than when I wrote that, so that's mm, not going to make the cut? No, I always like feel the same kind of like um, mel- like <laughs> consistent melancholy. <laughs> ah, but All right. I, I, I love dub songs. It's my thing. Well, tell us about the Me and Lee musical. Is that a sad yeah. musical? Because it sounds a little upbeat. <laughs> a little bit. Okay, so um, Jason Trachtenberg, do you guys know about him? I do not. Not familiar with his work. Okay. Yes. Yeah. He was back. Yes, you do. Um, back in the 90s, he was uh, had this group called the Trachtenberg Family Slideshow Players. And it was him and his wife and his mm-hmm. daughter who was small at the time, and she played drums, and um, they're amazing. They would show old um, old uh, slideshows that they would get at estate sales and make up songs about the slides. Man, um, that is crazy. And stuff. Really cool. Um, and he, he's part of, like, the sidewalk anti-folk scene, too. Anyway, I'm, I, I met him through shows and stuff, and... He just kind of randomly off uh, brought, uh, mentioned that he was doing this musical, and I was so enthusiastic. I was like, oh, it's, my, it's actually like my life's dream to be in a musical, and he kind of just offered me the role without an audition or anything. And um, I'm playing uh, Lee Harvey Oswald's secret girlfriend, who was a, <laughs> a teen science prodigy. Um, and she was unwittingly roped into this plot to kill Fidel Castro, obviously, right? Um, and then uh, 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 Jason right. is playing Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> the songs are, it's, it's, it's such a fascinating story, and the woman that I'm playing is actually involved in it, and we're, um, we're all going to Dallas in November to perform it at a, a conference, like a JFK so have oh, you wow. performed a musical uh, yeah, exactly. yet? Have you performed it in front of yeah. an audience yet? So what's more yeah, nerve-wracking? Yeah, we've had a few different dates. Performing would, a musical yeah. or performing just with the acoustic mm-hmm. in clubs or bars? Um, I so it's kind of it's my dream to be in a musical, and I didn't I really didn't know if I could pull it off. Uh, I was so scared, and then when I got up there, I was just like so I'm so comfortable doing that. I love it so much. Um, so. I think it just depends. It it depends on if I breathe <laughs> deeply enough. Like some, I can be really comfortable on stage, but some sometimes I'll have like a total meltdown. And um, like I don't know if you guys have you guys ever experienced where your hands are just shaking all of a sudden, and you like can't. Oh yeah. You know my that. trick, yeah, you know Odell. And I've talked about this before on air. Yeah. Like the first time playing bass was no big deal because I was kind of in the background. But the first time I right. sang on stage, which we, um, I wrote this song, it was kind of my revenge song for this punk band, even Steven, called Jock Asshole. So I would switch off and actually sing. And I was really nervous. And I was like, you know what, man? Instead of going out here and being reserved, and we had this blow up doll named Sally Smutchko. 
And I just went out on stage and went as insane as I could. And I was like, I am going to humiliate myself the (laughs) maximum way I know. And I'm like dry humping this blow up doll and rolling around, covering my eyes, flipping out. And it's like, yeah, absolutely. Because then every show after that was a piece of cake because it's like started off on the 30th level of a video game. And then going back and playing the first level. I was like, I'll never make an ass of myself on this level. So that's how I tricked myself into not like the handshaking. Like I just went insane the first time and then everything else was easy. That's smart. And also it's good to have the the gigs that go badly because then it makes the the anxiety lesson for the other gigs where things are falling into place more. You can appreciate it more. Absolutely. Well, you know what I've always noticed. What I've what what I've always noticed is that, you know, I think I said it earlier that we're our harshest critic. So it's funny how like right. we could be up on stage and be like, "Oh my god, this we I just sucked. I, this is the worst." Like I used right. to do it playing drums all the time. I would get really mm-hmm. nervous like that. I'm like, oh, and then people would come back and be like, "Dude, that was awesome." I'm like, "No, did you hear this part?" You know, but. You know, right. when you're done, it's like this big relief, and it's like, you know, I just did that. I I, I just right. performed in front of a group of people where a lot of people wouldn't even have the the yeah, nerve to even walk so up on a stage that. or, you know. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I want to stop, or I try to stop doing the thing of like, no, it wasn't good, you know, when people are complimenting you and you're like, no, but really, but, you know. It didn't feel good. <laughs> kind of like negates the whole thing. Well, yeah. and I, you yeah. know, yep. I'm the type of person who I have a very hard time, and Dee can attest to this, of living in the moment. So I take lots right. of pictures or video, and then it's like it's all part of my master plan to reflect on it when I'm a senile old man and go, oh, yeah, I did some <laughs> shit. But in the right. moment, they're like, there's so many things in my brain moving so fast, I can't possibly right. relax enough to mm-hmm. enjoy it. So I just kind of archive it. Yeah. I tried to meditate and I came up with like 19 different funny Facebook posts about meditating. <laughs> and I was That's like, I'm probably. even fucking working when I'm meditating. I, my brain <laughs> is never just on Type idle. Yeah. yeah. That's good. It's good for something. Yeah, I guess. All right. Let's get you out of here. Um, okay. We can find you on Spotify. How do we yeah. like... I was really surprised because usually an artist, especially of your caliber, has a lot of social media out there, a fan page and oh. a web page and an Instagram. Mm, do you have some have social Instagram. media going? Do you? Okay, yeah, well, I don't find I've, you on I've, Instagram. I have like 900 followers. Um, I, I'm on Instagram, uh, just Emily Fremgen. Um, and, uh, um, oh, I was going to say too, um, sort of related. I have a, a like single release show at Knitting Factory in Brooklyn on uh, June 24th. Right mm-hmm. on. So oh, definitely nice, everyone nice. local, but, yeah. check that out. And um, yeah. yeah, we'll have this show out probably Friday night. We'll send you the link and please let us know when the mm-hmm. album comes out and we'll be sure to share mm-hmm. it on all of our social media devices. Thank you. So nice talking to you guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, hey you nice too. You too. Absolutely. You. All right. <laughs> have a good night. Good night. All righty, hey, guys. We are going to get out of here. Um, all righty. And we'll be back, um, I guess, in two weeks. But we're going to have that L7 interview out with Anita Sparks. Thursday. I'm thinking of the day. On Thursday. Yeah, it's next right? Thursday. Because mm-hmm. the next album it, drops hey, next Friday. Sounds good. 
All righty, guys. Thanks so much for listening. I'm glad to be a part of it. Um, Hannah, thank you so much for enduring two hours with us and making it <laughs> yes, so special. Yes, Hannah, thank you so much. My yes. pleasure. Thanks for including and thinking of me. Absolutely. And we're oh, going to end anytime. the show with some Emily... I'm never going to get this name right. Fremgen? Fremgen. 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 Fremgen? Fremgen. That's it. I no, feel like I yes. need the clockwork orange um, goggles a whole bunch of just flash. Emily Fremgen. Fremgen. Emily, well, <laughs> there you like go. That, I sound like, um, what was it, Jim Carrey's old character? Fire Marshal Bob? My fire, little color. Fire Marshal oh, Bill? Goodness gracious. Yeah. <laughs> Emily Fremgen. We're going to play some Let me tell you something. <laughs> yeah. Since I came back here. All righty, guys. See this.